This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the Chelsea Fancast, fueled by Guinness, powered by Celery, the show that is a champion. Anyway, West Brom put up stiff resistance, as we all knew they would last Friday night. But with 10 minutes to go, the deadlock was broken by the most unlikely of heroes in Michi Batshuayi. Uh, the 1-0 victory bringing the fifth Premier League title to Chelsea and the unbridled joy shared between manager, players and the away faithful was something to behold. Diego Costa in particular, like the fans, looked like he would be partying all weekend. And so to last night where the party most certainly continued with a somewhat crazy game with eight changes and a seven-goal thriller with a JT goal and an assist at the wrong end to boot. Chelsea are champions... And football, according to Chess Fabregas, is fucking unbelievable. I'm Stanford Chidge, and the name of tonight's show is King Conte. It could be no other choice. And anyway, I've got uh, we've got an interesting show tonight. We've always got an interesting show. Of course, we have. We're a bit late, but that's because we were gassing away. But of course, the breaking news is that um, poor old Jonathan Kidd has had to pull out because he forgot to tell me that he had other duties to perform tonight. Uh, which is a shame, but uh, nevertheless, we've managed to get, as I promised last week, uh, we've got the wonderful Dan Sills back with us. Haven't seen Dan, for, haven't seen Dan since uh, before he went off and did Route sixty six in the US of A. Yeah, it's been it's been a long time. It's good to be back. It's very good to be mm. back. And yeah. as I said, up north, it's just champion, champion, mate, and it? it's champion, isn't it? Um, we've got an absolute champion with us as well. We've got the return of my new best friend, Mr. Oliver Harbord, who, of course, is the Chelsea correspondent of uh, Football London, and uh, is stupid enough to let me write for them every week. Uh, I'm uh, still paying him, mind you, to to let me do that and buying him a beer. But Ollie, it's great to have you back, mate. Oh, thanks for having me back. Uh, really glad to be back on the show. Well, you were great last time, and I, uh, not that there's any pressure. You'll be great this time too. Uh, now, uh, last but by no means least, we've got a return of the other, uh, another great friend of mine who we don't see enough of, but uh, I did see in the pub last time I was there. 
uh, who is, uh, well, he's a great friend, but he's also now become quite important because he's a football agent. But he is the lovely Seb O'Mahony. Evening, Chidge. How are you doing? Well, I'm, 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 very, I'm feeling champion, like Dan. Yeah, good. I'm, I'm feeling <laughs> like um, the Mitchie Batshuayi of the, of the fan cast coming off Ooh. the bench last minute. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like that. So, and what I like particularly about that is it proves that, like Conte, I am a genius and I bring a winner on, you see. <laughs> I bring a winner on we're gonna, winner on for the star player that nobody expects. Anyway, no doubt we will be talking much more about that in a few seconds. Uh, now, on the show tonight, uh, we're going to look back at last night's game against Watford. Uh, a meaningless game against meaningless opposition or a chance for the B team to shine and a curtain call for a certain... John George Terry. Uh, in part two, we celebrate Chelsea winning the title at West Brom and we applaud Batshuayi, an unlikely hero, uh, the away fans who more than anyone deserve to be there to share in it, and most of all, King Conte, the manager who has done more than anyone to bring this title home. Now, uh, in part three, uh, we've got an excerpt from an exclusive interview that I recorded with Mark Meehan and Neil Smith, uh, two of the... Uh, authors of a fantastic new book which you may have heard of uh, because it's been doing the rounds on Twitter and stuff but the new book is called Eddie Mac, Eddie Mac uh, and it's about exploring the three seasons between 1975 and 1977 where having been relegated uh, Eddie McCready and his Blue and White Army bounced back to Division 1 with a vibrant team of youngsters uh, now uh, the other thing about that uh, is it was recorded in the Atlas pub, so it's a bit old school because it's quite noisy in the pub and a bit of drink was taken, but it's good. And the other thing about that is that I'm only giving you about 25 minutes of it so I can fit it into this show, but actually um, I have also done a version which is about an hour and a half, which I'm going to put out later this week because it's just so brilliant to hear. Anyway, enough of that. Uh, part four, of course, we've got loads of emails from you, the listeners, from all over the blue world. Now, do not forget, you can listen to the show live every Monday, or in this instance, Tuesday, thanks to Sky TV uh, scheduling the game last night. Uh, but we're normally on a Monday at 7 o'clock by going to Mixler, which of course is mixlr.com forward slash Chelsea hyphen fancast, where you can join all of the chat by posting on the lovely Mixler chat room with all the other lovely peeps, and many of whom uh, are there. We've got the lovely Jace, who's in his cab somewhere, driving around. Hopefully, uh, driving passages around, affairs around London, we should say. We've got the lovely Marcus Aurelius, uh, number 13. Matt Jazz from Slovenia. Matt Huggins. Lovely Ali Fragley. Rash the Doctor. We've got Anne Lester. Lester Thorpe is in the house. One of the original fancast listeners who uh, we termed Anne Lester many, many years ago. Love to see him. Clive Lewis. Uh, Akshay Sankaran, pronounced right this week, I think, Akshay. Uh, uh, lovely John Chips Chiverton, Andy Silverman, lovely to see Andy in there, Mark from Ireland, Bob Uzray, Loyal Bob, Praj, great stuff. The usual suspects and many, many more. What a fun evening we're going to have tonight and uh, after, we're, after this little break, we'll start it all off. See you in a second. Okay, so uh, it was Watford last night, uh, and uh, 
you know, it's, yeah. it's it's always funny, isn't it, when you've won the title, you never quite know what's going to happen. And blow me, blow me, but did Mr. Conte make some changes or what? Uh, basically, this was the lineup we had for last night, which was uh, something to behold. Um, we had uh, Begovic, Zuma, Terry, Captain, Ake, Aspiliqueta, Kante, Chaloba, Kennedy, William, uh, Batshuayi, and Hazard starting with Eduardo, uh, Aina, Alonso, Cahill, Fabregas, Pedro, Diego Costa on the bench. But, I mean, the headline news really was that, um, you know, we made some pretty significant changes. Uh, to, uh, to 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 the last starting lineup. In fact, I mean, you know, a lot of people said it was nine. In fact, it was eight. I think because I, I would say Kante is a is a starter. Um, so in that case, uh, a big, 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 big change. So um, I mean, Ollie, I mean, you would have been in the press room last night. So I'd be, I'd be curious to find out what what you made of that and what the press made of all of that. Yeah, I think I was expecting personally a lot of changes. I did think, obviously, after. The Middlesbrough game on the Monday, then the West Brom game on the Friday. I think a few players needed a bit of a rest. Maybe not quite as many as that, but I thought last night was quite a key game. It was almost, for some, it was almost a bit of an audition for next season in a way because, you know, he is going to bolster the squad, you've got to say, going into Champions League football, going into defending the Premier League title. And for some of those fringe players, it was a, it was a chance for them to show what they can do against what has been a very poor Watford team, especially away from home in recent in recent weeks. Um, and so it was quite a crucial game for quite a few of them. I thought some people showed that they, they deserve to be in the squad. I think others had a bit of an off night, really. I think conceding three goals against a Watford team that haven't scored away from home since January before that was a bit of a, probably a bit of a shocker there um, at the back a little bit. Um, so it did take quite a lot of people by surprise. I think that there was that many changes, but uh, I can I can see going on on Sunday that he's going to be back to his full strength going into the FA Cup final the week after. Well, we'll pick pick that up in a minute because there was one starter who I think you know everybody was delighted to see. But Dan, um, I mean, it was really interesting actually because of course none of you were on on last week's show, which is quite odd. Normally I have Jonathan to say, "Do you remember when we talked about this, Jonathan?" And he won't remember anyway. But the bottom line is, is that we, we, we made this point. We weren't sure what he was going to do. We really couldn't figure out whether he would make huge changes or not. And he, he absolutely did, Dan. Um, were you surprised, worried, intrigued? What was, what was your reaction in the good old cock yesterday? No, we just, as soon as the team came through, we thought, yeah, that's pretty much what we expected. I wasn't expecting mm. Hazard to start. I thought, given mm. these key players, I thought he might be rested because you don't want to, you know, you know a, a kick for a Watford player and you could put him out of the cup final. Um it was obviously a team that hadn't played together as a, as a defensive unit because all, all three goals were pretty, pretty soft. Um, but it was it was a fun end-of-season game. You know, the fact that we still had the determination to go out and win it, and despite giving away three goals. And you look at, take it, Aspilicueta. I mean, he I think he lost out on a throw-on, and the the anger and determination he had, even in the meaningless game, shows, you know, what mental strength that Conte's instilled oh. into the team. Yeah, but no no so game is meaning. No game is meaningless, Dan. Not even for I mean, us. I mean, um, you know what I mean? I do, I you know, do. No, I do, and I think that was yeah. that's a very you know, that's a very valid point actually. And I mean, you know, kind of whizzing towards the end whilst we're at the beginning. I think the determination that they showed, particularly Fabregas, uh, in winning that game, just shows you the mentality that's been instilled by them uh, by Conte into that side, which is great. To see. Yeah. Seb, I mean, one one of the other uh, you know very notable appearances, of course, last night was was that JT started the game. Obviously, had the captain's armband. Um, 
Um, it was a it was a bit of an interesting cameo. I mean, you know, I mean, I know he scored, which is fantastic. Which of course I think means he's now scored in in seventeen consecutive seasons, which is astonishing. Um, but you could argue, well, I mean, he was definitely at fault for the first goal, but you could argue that he might have been at fault for the for the second as well, or was it the third? I think no, the third. Yeah. So it was a bit of a mixed mixed bag for the old uh, the old warhorse, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, he scored sixty seven goals. Is that right? Yeah, sixty one. Yes, I, I mean. Yeah. yeah, so I mean that is uh, for a centre back who doesn't take set pieces, i.e., penalties and free kicks. That is an astonishing record. I think he is by far the, the highest centre back or highest goal scoring centre back in the Premier League, at least. Um, it's just incredible. Um, yeah, like you said, it was interesting. Seventy seconds between the <laughs> adulation and then um, just the well, what even even he said it was when in doubt, put it out, and it was. It was a little bit schoolboyish uh, defending uh, for their first goal. Um, I think I think Chilo- I think it was Chiloba, wasn't it? Who could have, who probably should have got the ball to head it back to Begovic. So, yeah, it was it was um, it was a mixed bag from him. But the fact that he got the goal and it was uh, six hundred seventeen games. I mean, that's that's an really impressive. impressive. Oh, no, how many games is it? Seven hundred sixteen. Seven hundred sixteen. Yeah, I mean. So, yeah, I mean it's, it was very. You could you could see that. I mean, it was really interesting. I mean, I, I I'm now going to put my hand up and fess up, and uh, you know, another nail in the chidges of plastic coffin will be hammered in. But um, as the boys know, you know, I didn't make it last night because I, I I've actually been feeling as rough as a proverbial dog's ass all week with a, a nasty cold chest infection, and I've got some very important things coming up which I don't want to miss. Uh, so I, I basically I was about to set off at half three after work, and I just thought, you know what, I feel shit, and I went I went home to bed and watched it on the telly, which is crap, I know, and I deserve all the derision I get. Um, but you know what, had I gone, you might not be getting a podcast, so maybe you should be quiet. Mm. Um, but anyway, I, I, I could tell even from the telly that that he was emotional. Uh, in his post-match interview, he he admitted as much, uh, Ollie, and and I get a sense because you you were talking and Dan was talking about. You know, you wonder what you know what the starting eleven might be for the Sunderland game, and there's a suspicion that it might be a, a pretty strong team as a kind of a dress rehearsal for the FA Cup. Um, but surely, um, you know, Sunday is going to be all about JT Ollie, and I, I mean, he's he. he I, I, I'll be surprised if he starts, but he's got to come on at some stage, hasn't he? Yeah, I actually think he will start, only because I think it'd be a real shame for, you know, is the last chance for him to not lead out the side yeah. um, on, on Sunday. You know, and I, I can see it being one of those situations, you know, he starts the game and after 70 minutes or so gets subs to, subbed and, and gets the standing ovation yeah. he deserves from the crowd. I can really see yeah. it. And, and I think maybe part of the, you know, the fireworks and the streamers that went off last night, maybe part of that is celebrating the title win because they know that Sunday... It's generally going to be about JT, yeah. isn't it? It's going to be about him lifting that trophy for the for the final time as a Chelsea player, and and really getting the accolades that he deserves for what has been a stunning career at Chelsea. And and you get the feeling that I mean, I I think he will start on Sunday. I do. I think it'll be a a nice touch for him to lead the side out and and get the praise from the crowd. And and it's just been an incredible career for him at, at Chelsea. And it, you know, there were that those hints that he didn't deny that he might retire at the end of the season. That's that's one of the, the yeah. things there as well. And, and you know, it's, it's no secret that he's been uh, doing his coaching badges on the sidelines as well. So it's, I can't say it's going to be the end of his Chelsea career. I'm sure he'll be back in some capacity in the future. But, uh, yeah, it'll be a nice moment on Sunday for him to get the applause from the crowd. 
it's very interesting, isn't it? Because you know, sat, sat there, sat, you know, sitting, I mean, it's really weird, actually. I mean, I, I was for those of you who listen to the show and remember Darren Mantle, I got a, I got a text message from Darren, who clearly who doesn't sit far away from where I sit, and he looked up and he and I got this text saying, "Well, where are you?" You know, and we then engaged in this this text chat for the next ten fifteen minutes. It was really bizarre having a text chat with Darren, knowing where he was sitting knowing that I should be sitting where I normally sit and knowing that we were both watching the same thing. It was really quite bizarre. But, uh, you know, I, 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 I was feeling a bit wistful watching the match, thinking, shit, I've, I've, I've just missed the last goal that JT's ever going to score. What if he doesn't start on Sunday? Then, I, you know, all these things start whizzing through your head. But I think I'm encouraged by what Ollie says, Dan. It would be great to see him lead the team out and it really should be very much about JT that day should maybe they should bring maybe they should sub him on 26 minutes mate what do you reckon like I did with Jogba his last year I, yeah, sure yeah J- that's true wasn't it yeah yeah, I'm pretty sure JT will start I'd be amazed if, if he doesn't again it's a there's nothing to play for lead the team out it's going to be a pro- proper send off for him and he deserves it. I mean yeah, he, he's a once in a lifetime player I don't think we'll ever see the like of him for, for any any club, you know the, the the trophies, the determination, the desire, the everything about him. He's you know captain Nigel Legend, three perfect ways to describe him. And if you know, mm. Conte has got a you know a steely side, but he also realises the contribution John Terry's made to Chelsea for the last twenty odd years. So I think he, he will definitely be starting. I think they'll slap him off with ten minutes to go, so he can you know say 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 his final farewell, and then you know bring down the curtain by lifting the trophy with Gary Cahill. If I, if I recall rightly, Dan, and you'll, you'll remind me of this, didn't they carry Drogba off the pitch? Yeah, they did. He got subbed they off, did, didn't they? Like 20 minutes and they got carried yeah. off. Yeah. Um, so, Dan, here's the question. Are you going to be crying? Because I think I'm going to be blubbing like a baby on, on, on Sunday. I really do. I think I'll have a tear because there have been a few occasions when I've, you know, Chelsea brought me to tears, you know, sometimes in frustration well, as well. But... <laughs> I was going to say plenty of those, mate. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, think, and tears think, of pain when I've kicked something inanimate yeah. when they've done something stupid. Yeah. But yeah, I know what you I mean. Think they, yeah, Munich, Bolton, Matthew Harding, the Spurs game after Matthew Harding. Yeah, they're, they're yeah. definitely a tear or two for sure. Aussie, Aussie. Yeah, I can Aussie, actually. Yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? How bizarre we should do a show on 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 the matches that we've cried in. But yeah, the Matthew Harding, <laughs> uh, Aussie, yeah. and uh, a Munich. I just absolutely just lost my lost my shit at, at totally. Munich. <laughs> wept, wept like a baby after that. It was bizarre. <laughs> Um, Ollie, you're obviously in the in the press box, so you probably won't be able to shed a tear, will you? No, I'll have to keep it as professional as uh, as I mean. I, Good man. It'd be quite interesting to see what it'd be like in the press box actually on on the Sunday. Whether you know, obviously, a lot of the guys there, a lot of the, the more old school generation of, of the press guys, have dealt with John Terry a lot over the years. So it'd be an interesting to see what it's like in in the press box. Actually, it will be it will be quite interesting. Yeah, because I mean, I, I I don't know. I, I could be wrong, but I get the impression that. The press aren't particularly fond of him, so that will be interesting, although I could just be being cynical. Well, there's there's obviously a lot of there's been some off the, off the field controversy across JT over the over the years, which is no secret. Um so yeah, I mean I'm sure with a lot of players, some some journalists probably love him, some some not so much, but uh, you know, I know which category I'm in. Yeah, too right. Talking of which, actually, Ollie, I've got a lovely lad called Steve uh 
mower in uh, Mixler. I don't, I don't know why. That was, I wonder if he's rela- related to Patrick Mower, who used to be that brilliant actor who played detectives and stuff. Anyway, Stephen says, um, good point. Notice how none of the media have picked up on the potential problems with Steve Holland buggering off. As Ollie will verify, I wrote one of my first articles for Ollie and Football London on that very issue about Steve Holland going, didn't I? Yeah, absolutely. And I actually I thought about this today. I, I did mention it to our editor today about doing a piece on Steve Holland and, and the potential replacements. Uh, he's obviously been a key, such a key uh, part of the Chelsea setup through the years as well. And, and to see him go in the summer along with John Terry, those are two big, big personalities leaving that dressing room. And it's going to be an interesting one to see who they do replace to come in as number two now. That's a very good point. And Seb, I, I mean, actually, that segues very nicely in what I want to talk to you about, really. Because, I mean, judging judging from the judging from the performance in some respects, it looks like we're going to miss JT far more uh, off the pitch, possibly, than we're going to miss him on it, do you think? Yeah. Um, I think the last, well, at least 15 years, there's, there's instilled this mentality of winning, of um, of not of, of, of making sure that you, you leave everything... Off the pitch, and you give you give your all. Um, it's it's been great to watch for the last eighteen years. It's it's, it's obviously it's sad, but I think I, I know Cale's uh, not exactly the same type of player, but I think it's the closest we're going to get to at the moment. Some um, JT's a one-off. That there won't be another one like him. Uh, we just have to make sure that transition from him to whoever takes over long term is is uh, fluid and it's 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 it doesn't disrupt the, the club too much but yeah for JT it's 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 more than just a player it's it's every it's everything his when he when new players arrive he makes sure they they're settled in and, and so forth and it's just things like that can make the difference and it's all all the stories that are going to be coming out of the next couple of days it's it's going to be sad but it's going to be great that we've we've had him we've had him uh, when we've been at our greatest Mm. I think I think it's a very valid point actually but uh, you know it, it, it's clear that he's unique so he's irreplaceable it's clear that you know we're never going to be able we, we, you just cannot replace the leadership qualities that he has that have I think been very evident off the pitch this season but I think Dan there's some some encouraging signs I mean even though of course and I think again Ollie will, will, will validate this I mentioned this in, in last week's Football London article but you know he is the last player of the uh, Mourinho, of the great side that Mourinho first built. He's the last one standing. Once he's gone, there will be none of that original team. But we, what we do have, we do have a nuclear... I mean, you know, the, the baton, I think, has been passed on, and I think Seb's very right. He mentions Gary Cahill, and I think I think Gary's been superb in his role as a, as a captain, and I think he's been quite JTS this season. But I think there are other leaders in that team who have now won stuff, who are emerging... And uh, one person who has has not failed to impress me every single minute that he's played this year, and he has played every single league minute, and that, of course, is Aspilicueta, who clearly uh, is, A, undroppable, and and B, a completely unsung hero, Dan. Oh, he's phenomenal. I mean, seven seven million quid. I mean, that's got to be one of the the buyers of all time. Really booked. Yeah, he is a brilliant defender. He plays left-back, right-back, centre-back, determined desire he's what you want he's 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 the next generation i mean you know jt dates back to priya bramwich as well he's kind of got the catalyst between yeah you know older chelsea and and you know the, the kind of a bramwich era but you know, as as per i think he's great the, the, the um 
the players like him, love him, the fans love him. I think he'd be a great choice for captain because he's got the desire yeah. and hunger that you need. He's he's a he's a born winner. Yeah, I think I think so the think, issue yeah. for me. Yeah, I think the issue for me is actually that it it, it is very much about the baton being passed on, and I think you know you've got players. Uh, if you just look at it, Gary Cahill, David Luiz, of course, were around when we won the Champions League, which is now five years ago. Five years ago, uh, this this coming Friday, of course. Um, so they they you know they, there's a link between them and the past. The, I think the one link that that's gone with JT going is the link pre Roman Abramovich, and of course that that's quite phenomenal when you think about that. But I do think there's a nucleus of players who've been around, who've been winning stuff, who get the culture, who have had it passed down to them. There is hope, people. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, talking of that, um, a couple of things I want to pick up before we disappear for part two. But, um, you know, let's look forward, in in a sense, to, um, to Sunday, which, of course... And this is talking of Mourinho. Actually, it's quite pertinent, really, because if we if we beat Sunderland on on Sunday, which of course we bloody well should do, because they they are so on the beach, it's not true. Um, it will be the first team to win thirty Premier League games in a season. Um, we've already equaled our own Premier League record for for most wins, uh, which is twenty nine, which we did both in oh four five oh five six. Um, and I think it's interesting that actually uh, Conte alluded to that in his post-match presses, didn't he, Oli? He, he's aware of that, and I think he's quite keen to break that record. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a good motivation for the players as well, isn't it? I mean, obviously, there's not been a great amount of competition in the in the sense of starting eleven because they've had a very core nucleus of players that have gone through. So going through to the FA Cup final, you could probably guess the majority of that starting 11. So maybe that competition isn't there. But the the idea of breaking a, a Premier League record and an incredible Premier League record at that as well, to win 30 games out of your 38, it's just, it would be an incredible achievement. And, it, it you know, that is a target. He keeps talk, calling that a target. That's the next first target. And then the FA Cup final after that. And if you look at the battles that he sort of had with Mourinho this season, uh, obviously a couple of heated exchanges. Obviously there was the the really big one in the middle of the uh, FA Cup uh, game as well. And and so I think to get that extra bit of record away from Mourinho and to have that to himself and say, look, I've won the Premier League title in my first season. I might win a double as well. And I've got 30 wins uh, over over a Mourinho season would be quite would be quite impressive. And I think he, you know, he's a very motivated character. And, and uh, I think that's another real motivation for him to, to make sure they do get the win on Sunday. Well, I agree entirely. I mean, one of the things that amused me actually over the weekend was to discover that um, that Conte is known as Il Martello or the Hammer, which just conjures up wonderful uh, stuff for me. There's a wonderful Motorhead song actually. I think that he should he should run out to the Hammer, and I think uh, what Phil, Filthy Phil Taylor, the drummer of Motorhead, this is going back a few years, was known as the Hammer because he used to that that the um, it's the bass drum that you, you you basically hit it with you you know you use your foot to to do the pedal anyway i'm waffling on talking nonsense of course but the bottom line is he's called the hammer seb it seems appropriate because he's quite ferocious isn't he in his desire to win which is what makes me think we are going to do this record on sunday even if it you know even if it is only sunderland that we're playing yeah i mean he has he has the two sides what we've mentioned already he's got the the very hard hitting will 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 shout at players if he has to but he has the other softer side which is great um we've not really had that the last couple of years. It's been all shouting at players and shouting at uh, fans and so forth. It is great to have someone who has that ability to micromanage 
the players who may be a bit different. Obviously, Costa's a bit uh, a bit off, off flying off the handles. We've, we've seen in the last couple of days. It's it's great to see that uh, someone who 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 can relate to to the fans as well as be able to to motivate the players. Even even last night, it was it was great win. It was great to win. Uh, we could have easily settled for the draw, but. It's that desire, that burning desire to win every single game, and it, it's filtered through to the players. With Fabregas, it was you could see you could see that he wasn't he wasn't going to settle for a draw. He wanted to win, and it's it's great that the players have bought into that. Um, and until until the and whilst we're winning, it's great, and hopefully we can maintain that for the next well years to come. Hopefully. Mm. Well, we're going to talk a lot more about that after the break, actually, and and uh, all hail to the new king, Mr. Conte. Um, but before we do, I just wanted to mention something that, that I, I caught uh, watching it last night was the fact that his uh, his wife, uh, who, of course, there's been a lot of talk about the fact that his family haven't moved to London, and this is a concern that he might, you know, n- not hang around at Chelsea. But his wife was in the crowd last night, and... Uh, was caught on camera crying when the the supporters were singing the Antonio song. Uh, So hopefully she was crying for the right reasons. That's all I'm saying. Uh, Now, after the break, uh, we're going to celebrate Chelsea winning the title at West Brom and we're going to applaud Batshuayi, or as I like to call him, Batshuayi. Aha, aha, I like it. Aha, aha. Uh, Who was, of course, an unlikely hero against West Brom on Friday. And, of course, the real heroes who are the away fans who I think more than anybody deserve to be there to share in it. And of course, as I said, most of all, King Conte, the manager who has done more than anyone to bring the title home. We'll see you in a sec. The only place for Chelsea fans. Footballfancast.com. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to Chidge and the boys on the Chelsea Football Fancast. Total nutters and proper Chelsea. Okay, welcome back. Uh, you're listening to a very celebratory and champion-winning uh, Chelsea fancast tonight. I'm Stanford Chidge, of course, and I've got with me some lovely people. We've got the lovely Dan Silver. Hello. Uh, we've got the uh, the very erudite uh, Chelsea correspondent from Football.London, Mr. Oliver Harbord. Good evening. And uh, and uh, we've got the lovely old mate of mine, Seb A. Mahoney, who, uh, who, who of course is now a football agent, Seb. I'm still waiting for Seb to sign me up to anything, really. But you Yeah, know. I, think, I think it'll be more more uh, League 2, I think, Chidge. League 2, yeah. Probably mm. probably what we used to call in the in the old days the Beezer Homes League. You know. <laughs> But uh, yes, I, mean, I think I think my play, my playing days actually ended uh, so long ago that you probably weren't even born then, Seb. Okay, that's what. I, that's how ago. long ago. It, that's how long ago it was that I. I mean, I hung my boots up in my in my early twenties. Oh dear! So yeah, only ten, five years ago then. Five, only five well, years ago then. Maybe you could be my media agent, Seb. I could do with one. Yeah. You know. <laughs> might might actually make some money for a change. Anyway, enough, enough, enough. Let's talk more about the football. Um, yeah, West Brom on Friday. I mean, it was it was tense, boys and girls. It was tense. Uh, it was also the hottest ticket in town. Uh, there were people doing anything to get a ticket, and of course, as we know, there were there were Chelsea supporters in the home end. And whilst we know it's not legal and we know it has issues, I can totally understand that. Uh, and and in a sense, you know, and don't take this the wrong way. 
But I, I think there's something quite quite proper Chelsea about that, you know, the desire to go and see your side. Uh, and I think it, it, it speaks volumes for the tremendous away support that we have. But before we talk about that in more depth, um, you know, the match itself was just classic, classic Pulis, wasn't it? Stubborn, well-organised, physical, niggly, just an absolute bastard of a team to have to play when you really need to get a result. Um, and they were really tough to break down, but but we did. But I mean, I mean, Dan, I, were you there, Dan? Yeah, I was. I thought you might have been. You sure. lucky, 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 <laughs> lucky boy. I mean, what was it like being there? And you know, it was tense, wasn't it? It took a long time for us to to break them down. And it was, so, what was yeah, it like it was, to be there, mate? It was just as tense. I mean, it was. We just got to the point where I thought, said to my mate, I was with, this is not going to happen today because we just, everything we try, we could, you know, they, we got West Brom, basically. And I just thought, oh, it's going to happen on Monday night at Watford. Because um, second half, they, they, you know, attack, attack, attack. And although we had a lot of possession, Foster, I don't recall making that many difficult saves. We thought, oh, God, it's going to go to Monday. You know, Rome was like really buzzed up. We we're going to win it. You know, the, the, the concourse was absolutely nuts. We tried it. My friend tried to get beer. He just bought four each. We thought, I'm not queuing like that again. Um, we didn't think it was going to happen. And when it happened, the end just collapsed. I mean, there were limbs everywhere. It was, I've got a bruise on my back of my knee. I've got a bruise in front of my knee. Yeah. And I've got a beautiful bruise on, on the knee. And I've got a bruise on the back of my knee. No, it hasn't happened. But it was, it was fantastic. And then the full time, it was a good 20 minutes to players celebrating and each player was getting serenaded by the fans. It was just a brilliant, brilliant time. And then we went into Birmingham and the pub was open until like one o'clock and just had an absolutely brilliant time. So it was, it was, it was certainly in the top five of Chelsea games I've been to in my life, just purely based on you know, winning the league, winning it away and just being with mates. It was a cracking, cracking evening. Mm, okay, great stuff. Okay, hands up anybody who thought that... Uh, he would bring on Batshuayi. Well, I mean, take off Hazard. Let's be honest. That's what happened. He took off Hazard, and he brought on uh, Batshuayi, and Batshuayi played like an absolute load of shit, and scores the winner, the goal that wins the title. Seb. I mean, do, you know, if you if you put money on that, Seb. I know you like to have a bet. If you'd have put money on that, Seb, I I I, I my respect for you will be undying. <laughs> do you know what I said? I said to my other half brother. Just before, because my, uh, my me and my other half watched, well, Frankie watched uh, watched the game at Bodine's in Fulham, so it's just outside Fulham Broadway. Um, but I said to her brother, I said it's going to be a really really tight game. It's going to be one nil. Um, and then during the game, I said, I think Bashwai is going to come on. I think he's going to score. So <laughs> I did actually think I did I didn't I didn't put anything on him in the end, but I did think he would actually score. I, uh, it's incredible. He the He's had such a difficult season. It's um, it's been unfortunate because he he would probably play in most other Premier League sides, more mid table. But yeah, he he um yeah he, like you said, his first three touches were fouls, I think, if I remember rightly. Yeah. So even the even the he was only on this pitch for six minutes and he scored. So the first four and a half five minutes were <laughs> poor touch foul, poor touch foul, and then. To, to do that was um, is incredible for all the all the hard work he's put in this in the uh, in the season all the the time he spent on the bench it's 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 been a good reward for him and hopefully he can sort of kick on whether it's going to be at Chelsea or not next season on loan or whatever but I, I think he's he's definitely a player we should keep I think 
You know what it reminded me of, and I, I know I'm not alone in this. A lot of people kind of uh, made this point, but there was something quite kind of Torres-esque about it. Uh, you know, in the Champions League semi-final, you know, where Torres played like a donkey, like he normally did, and yet he went off and scored that brilliant goal, and, and it meant so much. And in in a, in a sense, you know, I mean, weirdly, you know, Bats- I mean, let's, you know, it's it's quite feasible that Batshuayi might actually go in the summer. But if he does, he's going to be something of a Chelsea legend, isn't he? You know, a bit like Denver Bar when he scored his goal. You know, it's it's bizarre how these things happen. Um, but Ollie, I mean, wh- what was the feeling in the press box at the time when those changes were being made? Because that was a very big call by uh, by Conte, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, Conte's he's used, I think, all three substitutions in basically every game this season. So he's he's pretty well versed in in rotating the squad, and he's made some really crucial ones at, at that. I mean, I remember obviously the Stoke game when he brought on uh, Loftus Cheek instead of instead of Batshuayi, who was on the bench and didn't come on, and, and he brought on Loftus Cheek, and that sort of changed the game because he won the corner where they well, they won that won won the game from from that and. He's the sort of manager who's who's not, you know, he'll make these brave calls if he sees something's not right. If he sees, I mean, it sort of summed up Hazard's evening, really, when he ballooned a shot. I think he went out for a throw-in in the end. And you're kind of thinking, well, if it's not working for Eden Hazard, then something's not going to go right. And I, 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 like Dan, thought it wasn't going to happen that night, actually. And, I mean, we touched on uh, Cesar Aspilicueta earlier and, and the role he played in that was crucial. I mean, he made a great block to stop Rondon when he was through on goal and then moments later, he's up the other end putting in the perfect cross for Batshuayi. And it really was a magical moment for Batshuayi because it's been a really difficult first season for a young guy who's come for a big price tag and, and to, to get the winning goal is just incredible. Mm. I tell you what, what occurred to me, actually, and I, th- I think this was a, quite a salient point that's gone a bit under the radar, really, but... Um, what I thought was interesting was the fact that he brought Batshuayi on, uh, but he didn't bring him on for Costa. So he he played him actually in in the role that is Batshuayi's. I mean, Batshuayi's a striker who likes to play in a two. He's not a, a Costa replacement. He's not the kind of guy who can really play up there on his own and hold the ball up, Ollie, is he? No, and, and you're right. And and when he scored against Watford, his other goal before earlier, uh, what was the second game of the season or earlier on in the season, um, he did the same thing, and he came on as a second striker, and he scored in that game as well. And and he he's sort of, you know, you look at last night, and I thought that when he played up top on his own, he got beaten quite a bit actually by Sebastian Prodo. I know that Prodo obviously then got sent off towards the end, but he was a bit bullied at times, uh, and he's not sort of that real target man up his own on his own. I think he's 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 much better with a with somebody next to him and making those sort of runs that. Uh, round the back and and things like that and uh, it was it was just a great great time for him to score and and to be a hero for Chelsea. Although I have to say, Ollie, actually last night I thought the way he stood up to to Prodel, that reaction that's the kind of reaction I want to see. You know, he got up and was very cross and and basically got right in Prodel's face and I thought, good, I want to see that. I don't want to see some shrinking violet um Dan, uh, one one group of people that we could never accuse of being shrinking violets are what I think, you know, and I will always say this about every season, the real heroes of, of, of Chelsea Football Club are the, I mean, there's 800 away season ticket holders, but, uh, you know, we tend to take, you know, when we're allowed to, you know, 3,000 away and we'd take a lot more if we could. But um, they really have been the heroes this season. And, and I, you know, I, I mean, actually, do you know what? I even said this on the Kerry show, which, of course, I recorded on Thursday before the game. Um but uh, you know, even though I couldn't be there, 
I would I would I would be delighted if we did win it, and I would be delighted because it would be for those away fans. And there was something to me that really spoke about them deserving that. Uh, and I think the celebration afterwards, uh, and the and the way that you know the, the the team and and Conte and and the and the away fans are all as one as they celebrate. It was a really heartwarming, wonderful thing to say. I mean, you were in the middle of all of that, but they really deserve. A huge, huge round of applause our away support, don't they? Oh, they're absolutely brilliant. I think we've sold out every single away game. They're just absolutely brilliant. I mean, it, to the extent that they're the heartbeat of the club, you know, in terms of, you know, match-going fans. I mean, you know, they're all great fans, but those that travel up and down the country on unsociable trains, sky-moving games, they are they are true, proper Chelsea. I saw loads of people like Martin Wicker, Bex, you know, all the, all the normal faces. And it was just, it was beautiful to be there because these are the people, we, you know, we see day in, you know, Every game, Stanford Bridge away, it's it's fantastic, and it's because the last two times we've been at home, wasn't it? You know, three times we've won it at home, and to win away was just it was great. It was just really, really so enjoyable. You know, just waiting for final whistle to go because we thought he blew it about ten seconds before. Yeah, oh no, it wasn't. It was um, a free kick, but it was, uh, and the fans loved it. I mean, they've you know because sometimes you could accuse the players of being a little bit disrespectful and not giving the away fans their due but every single man of them you know all the way down to the you know the kit man were, were there were lapping it up and it was just it, it was it was heartwarming and enjoyable it was really you know the the the, the icing on the, the cake of winning the league because you could see, mm, you could see mean, how much it meant to like you know the courtois who got has got a lot of stick last season he was fist pumping and he was loving it you know hazard it, it was you know the turnaround from last season has been absolutely phenomenal Compared to you know this time last year, we were kind of like oh, season's finished. It was just it was brilliant. It's, it shows you know the difference Conte's made in 12 months turning around. You know that team from 10th to first is probably one of the most phenomenal achievements you know in, yeah. in Premier League history. There's a, there's a real there's a real bond I think between the team, the manager, and the away fans, and I think that that was that was beautifully expressed after the final whistle. I mean Conte getting the bumps from the players was hilarious. Um, one of the things that I thought was also hilarious, uh, Ollie, was. Uh, was was Chess Fabregas, who uh, uh, people will know that. In fact, actually, just to, to please a few of the original listeners, there are people yet to be discovered in the Amazon rainforest who know that I've never completely warmed to, to Chess Fabregas because I still see him as Arsenal and Barcelona. I'll be utterly honest with you. I think after the way that he uh, spoke to Jeff Shreves, a man who deserves nothing but contempt, uh, in the in the post match interview. And uh, saying that football's fucking unbelievable, and Gary Cahill's double take when he did it was also priceless. But also his 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 celebration uh, when Batshuayi scored, he was the one Chelsea player who ran straight for the away fans. So, uh, as far as I'm concerned, Chess Fabregas is 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 definitely Chelsea now, Ollie. But how how did his post match faux pas go down with the press boys? Did they chuckle? Uh, yeah, I think there was a, there was quite. I think it was as you say, uh, it was Gary Cahill's reaction really that <laughs> got everyone as well because uh, you know the emotions of the night. Obviously, you get carried away and and, and you know it's going to happen, isn't it? Those sort of things. It was just a, a slip on his part. There was no there was no harm in it whatsoever, and it was just that moment of Cahill just um, just sort of looking at him, which really made everyone laugh. I think, and you know, it was. I think. For Fabregas, it's obviously it has been a difficult season, hasn't it? He's not he's obviously not started as many games as he'd like to be, uh, but he's made such a crucial impact towards this back end of the season. Um, and yeah, and his celebrations every time he scored in recent in recent games as well, his celebrations have been superb. And then to to celebrate when Batshuayi scored as well, and, and in front of in front of those away fans, the amazing away support that was there. 
Um, yeah, I think he, I think you can say he's, he's pretty much nailed on Chelsea now. And I, I, I would like to see him kept over the summer. I think he's, he's one of those players that is so useful to a squad going into Champions League as well next year that he, he really breaks defences up sometimes and, and he's in sync with Pedro, Hazard and Costa and I'd love to see him stay in for next season. I couldn't agree more, and I'm sure Seb will agree with that. But he, he, you know, it's it's not an eleven-man game anymore, and I think that's going to be particularly true next year. And I think the impact that somebody like Fabregas has as an impact sub um, is brilliant. And of course, you know, there's no reason why he shouldn't start some games as well. But I, I, I felt all through the season, Seb, that he's been a horses for courses player. But it'd be great to keep him, wouldn't it? Oh yeah, I mean, when I was here, what three weeks ago, I, I was singing mm. his praises. It was, I don't think I've seen. Many players who can who can not only spot spot the runs of the strikers, but only to execute it as well. It's, it's just even harder. Uh, it, it's just it's it's great to have someone of that caliber within our within our squad. Not, not only our team, but someone who's not even playing every week. So yeah, it, it would be a shame for him to go. But look, obviously with what I do, I know that he 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 wants to be playing every week. Um, and his agent will want him to be playing every week. So it's about whether they can find some sort of solution where if if we obviously play more games next season, so he's sort of not guaranteed to play more, but at least at least have more game time because someone of that caliber needs to be playing week in week out because he yeah, he has an he has an assist every game that he plays. It's it's incredible having having someone of that of that um, quality. So it will see. I think it's going to be a long summer with him. Um, but as a Chelsea fan, I hope he stays. But I can see from his his representative's point that he wants his client to be playing every week. Unfortunately. No, I, I I get that. I I think you know actually ultimately, and and it'd be good to get you back on. I think when we when we you know finished the season in a sense, because I think you're right. It's going to be a very very big summer, and I think a lot of things like this will be decided really depending on who the club bring in. Um, but I just for my own part, I, I would like to say I'm you know I, I'm big enough to say when I'm wrong, and I think I think I got it absolutely wrong about Fabregas, and I think that. Not only is a fantastic player, I mean the stats bear that out, but I also think that his passion for Chelsea has shone through. But I also think, you know, picking up on what we were talking about earlier about leadership, I think that he's clearly, you know, a leader in the dressing room. And I, and I never thought I'd say that about Chesk, but I think he's proven that. And and I think if he does go, he he will be a huge loss. Anyway, moving it on, um, and I think we've alluded to this really, you know, throughout the show that there was. That, I don't know what it was, but there was something that felt really, really special about winning the title this time. And I think it's a whole confluence of things. You know, I think a lot of it has to do with Conte. I think a lot of it has to do with where we came from because we were a shambles last year. In fact, we were a shambles. You know, uh, me and Dan were together at the Arsenal match and it was an absolute horlicks of a match. I don't know if it has something to do with that as well. But, Dan, it really did feel very special this year. But here's the question. Um... How does it compare to the others? I mean, is it is it better than the others? I mean, two thousand and five surely is hard to supp- to surpass, is it not? Yeah, I think that was definitely the the pinnacle because it was it was the first run for so very long. I mean, it certainly supersedes Jose's um, uh, title two years ago. Um, I say it's second. I'd say Bolton, um, Carlo third, and then Jose's other two seasons fourth and fifth. I think Carlo was a very special year because some of the was out. But the, I think it's the bond we have with Conte, who's 
come to our hearts so quickly in such a short space of time. He just, he, I love that man. He's just, he's just a brilliant yeah. man. He's, he's a, he's a proper football man because he's, he's not long retired from the game, so he still kind of gets what it is to be a footballer. As a lot of players have alluded to, you know, with Vell, Diggs, and Mourinho, he, he was a player, a proper player. He gets what it is to be a player. He understands the mentality, and he, that shines through in their respect for him and and the season that, that we've had. So I think I'd say it's number two in mm. in the five that I've seen us win. Mm. Ollie, where, where do you stand on this? I mean, I, I tried to kind of get that across in the in the thing I wrote for you at the end of the week. You know that. I think that the best title win was 2005. You cannot beat how the first one feels. But this this is the sweetest, in a sense, for me. And, I, and, I, and there is something really special about this. And I do think a lot of it has to do with Conte. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's it's hard to beat your first, isn't it? I think that's that's that'll always be a special moment. But to, I mean, the thing was about this squad, there was always the core of, of a title-winning squad. You knew it was there. But last season was so poor that it needed something drastically to happen. And for Conte to come in and, and really get that connection back with the fans, uh, with, with the whole team, with everything going on, getting the best out of his players. You know, even when it, it didn't go right in, in, in the early stages, you know, the loss to Arsenal, obviously, and he made that, that change to the three at the back and it all just went on from there and 13 wins in a row. It has been a really special season. Um, it's going to be a really exciting next one as well. Next season, mm. I think, could be one of the best in a, in a while as, as for, for teams being close to closer to each other. Um, and this one was really sweet from, I think, from last year's, as you put it rightly, was a shambles, really, wasn't it? And, and next season uh, could be a fantastic one. And this one, this one was definitely sweet. Absolutely right. I mean, I think the other thing about Conte that 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 that, that I wanted to. I mean, we we nearly got into this in the first part, but one of the things I was keen to suggest. Uh, I mean, look, I love Mourinho. You know, I will never ever forget what he uh, did uh, for the club. I mean, you just cannot forget what he did for the club, and and he did far more than just winning those trophies that he won. I mean, he sat down and built a team that went on to win trophies way after he went, and. You know, talking about JT going, uh, that is the last link, any link that we have with really with the Mourinho side. I, I, I don't think that, that he really was around long enough to build another side when he came back. Uh, and then he completely norsed it up for reasons that I'm sure we will read in a book sometime further down the line, Seb. Um, but, I, but what really strikes me is that perhaps what is so special about uh, this season, Seb, and, 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 and con. Conte in particular is that is that in a sense he's freed us from Mourinho you know we we had to kind of go through having Mourinho back to see if it would work it didn't pan out really quite like we wanted or expected but you know I I feel and I think Ollie was alluding to this that we could be on the verge of creating you know another great team that will, will will last for a long time if only we can keep Conte long enough but in a sense, he's freed us from that, has he not? Has he not, Seb? Yeah, I mean, just going back to Mourinho, look, we'll we, we, be ever grateful for what he's done yeah. and given us the the platform to where we are now. But I think second time round, I think it was definitely a lot of marriage convenience uh, at the time. Well, definitely looking back, at it, it is definitely something where there was no one else of that caliber around at the time. It was he needed us, we needed him. So it just it was it was it was. Marriage convenience, I think, but yeah, with with Conte, it, it, it's great to have someone where there's 
who's hitting the back pages for the right reasons. It's not whether it's 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 um, mind games or so forth. It, it's it's nice to have. Obviously, I know people in the press would probably like Reno because it's always gonna hit the headlines. It's gonna always page turner. But from a from a Chelsea fan's perspective, it, it's nice to have someone where oh we're not thinking oh God, not this again or these mind games and so forth with other managers with the fans. I mean. Unfortunately, Mourinho. By the end, it was it, it was turning not only on the players but on the fans. It's it's people who pay their hard-earned money to to, to watch football. So they're there to, to turn the, the people who who love him and so forth was it wasn't great to see. So it's nice to have Conte where someone like Conte who's embraced it, who's willing to adapt. It's important to have a manager who's willing to adapt, uh, who's 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 got the charisma but also has that the 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 desire to win and hopefully I know next year is going to be even more difficult but I think with someone like him he he's willing to take on that challenge and we shall see what happens in the summer mm. I think you know for me Dan it, it, it it's because he's 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 all about the football it's not all about him number 1 which I think is a is the huge contrast between him and Mourinho but he's all about the football and I think that he bleeds it and that, and I think a lot of that is you know culturally the Italians you know have a have a there, there's something quite similar in their passion towards football that we have I think but he gets the supporters he gets the relationship between the supporters and the club but whereas you know, Mourinho would coat off the supporters for not singing. You know, Conte not only, you know, leads by example with his passion, but he implores the supporters to get behind the team, but not in a way that makes you feel that you're being dug out. Would would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, Conte hasn't got the Mourinho ego. Mourinho is very Machiavellian in everything he does, whereas Conte's... I think Mourinho's... I know this is, we don't get onto the whole Mourinho debate, but I think a lot of Mourinho's stuff was that he was never a top footballer. There's maybe a little bit of jealousy when he looks at the world-class players that he works with. That he, he was never at that level, and maybe him you know, belittling them is his way of sort of taking control. But Conte just—you run out of superlatives for him. He, as you say, he's, he was a top footballer, phenomenal at Juventus, good for the Italians. And he's bought into it. I mean, there's always, since like, you know, Viali, Di Matteo, has always been a bit of a Italian connection. It fits in very well with the whole the whole sort of Chelsea, Kings Road, you know, thing. Because he's, you know, you go back to those days when we had, you know, those players were coming over and the Italian connection, it was fantastic. And he just continued with that. We had Ancelotti and now Conte. You hear him in the interviews, he's humble. You know, he's respectful to everybody. That's what, that's what you want. You don't, you don't, you don't want to shit still every time you play a game because it, it does it does get tiresome. And now we're, you know, Mourinho's up up, up the M1 and M6. You kind of see what utter shitstorm is around United every time they play. I wouldn't wish it on a on a. On a I wouldn't wish it more on another team than Man United. So there we go. <laughs> I mean, Ollie, one one other thing that occurs to me is, you know, I think Seb Seb mentioned it a second ago actually about the fact that. Uh, you know the press, in a sense, they love Mourinho because he's he he, he makes great copy, uh, and I and I wouldn't I wouldn't say that Conte you know makes for good press copy at all. In fact, he's a he's a very skilled uh, operator, I think, when it comes to the press conferences, and he never says anything controversial. But how how do the press generally uh, react to Conte? Because I, I have to be honest, and I've seen. I mean, I know that there's been this ridiculous willy waving for for the Tottenham cause coming from the media in the last few weeks, but 
I do get the feeling that there's a, a huge amount of warmth for Chelsea and Conte in particular that we haven't seen for the club for quite a long time. I mean, does that bear out with the press's attitude towards him? Yeah, I think so. It's he's the same likable character that everyone else is sort of around the country seems to be falling in love with Conte when it comes to that. He's a very hard man to hate. Um, and you're right about sometimes, you know, you come out of his press conferences and you think, actually, was there a story in that 30 minutes? Because, you know, there was nothing, a lot of, of what he says. He's very clever in, in what he does say. Um, you know, even even though he often runs late press conferences as well, he's been known to be you know, 20, 30 minutes late because one time he went for a run himself before he came into the press conference. Um, but it seems to be all, you know, absolutely, you know, fine. And, and it's all, everyone seems to, to love what he's doing. And, you know, he was joking last night about Diego Costa and going into the press room at, at half time yesterday to grab an orange. And uh, it was all very much jovial and, and joking. And I think obviously it's always a test with the press and the media when things aren't going right, isn't it? I think that, you know, this season's been so, you know, post the Arsenal match, everything's been so great, really, that he's never he's never really been under that pressure, particularly with the media, that much. And obviously, he's such a likeable character. You know, if, if there does come a time in the seasons to come, if there is a, you know, a, a downward period, if there's, you know, a bit of a slump in form, it'd be interesting to see how his demeanour changes and how the presses does deal with him in the future as well. Mm. And I think just to just to wrap this part up, I mean, we we there was some wonderful. Uh, this is this was written before um, the game. Well, the game on Friday, actually, let alone uh, 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 Watford last night. But um, at that stage, we had we were we were first in all of these ranks in terms of the Premier League for this season. Uh, goals uh, wins twenty seven, goals scored seventy five, shot conversion rate twenty percent, away wins twelve. Fewest starting 11 changes, fewest minutes trailed in matches, goals scored by defenders, goals scored from outside the box, fewest shots on targets faced, and the points a lot. We were we had the least amount, well, we, we, we had lost no points in the last final uh, 10 minutes. So, you know, to all of those uh, Tottenham supporters out there who think we didn't deserve it or we weren't good enough, or to the Arsenal fans and their manager in particular who felt we're not in- very entertaining, and for the sour-faced Portuguese up in the northwest who thinks the same, I would say jog on because uh, the, the, I'm not I'm not a man who loves stats, but they are borne out. And the only other stat that I'd like to re- introduce at this point is. Um, is to say a massive, massive thank you to Roman Abramovich, and I, and I really do hope that on sun on on Sunday, that we don't just celebrate uh, Conte and the team, and in some respects ourselves, but I really hope that Roman Abramovich gets uh, a huge amount of love because he certainly deserves it. Because that is now five Premier Leagues he's brought to us since he, he took over, uh, four FA Cups, hopefully five in a couple of weeks' time. Three League Cups, two Community Shields, one Champions League, and one Europa League, and and you know that means in terms of trophies won since he arrived, we are the most successful club in the country. But we've we've won more trophies than even United, I believe. So, I think Raymond deserves a huge amount of uh, kudos for that. Dan, yeah, he got some he got some love on Friday night after the full time. There's a Roman Abramovich chorus at at some point. Yes, yeah, so he did get some love then. Good stuff. Right. Um, 
We're going to go for a quick break. Uh, and before we do, I just want to have a quick shout out and plug for my uh, Kerry Dixon show with the wonderful, wonderful Kerry Dixon, which I record every Thursday with the great man himself. Uh, it'll be out, well, at, hopefully sometime in the afternoon. I've got a bit of a busy day Thursday, so I'm not quite sure. But when it is out, uh, you can download it via Acast, iTunes and SoundCloud. And I can already reveal that he is mucho excited because I spoke to him earlier in the week after the game last night in fact and uh, he's well well chuffed with winning the title as are we all now uh, after the break uh, we've got uh, an, e- an excerpt from an exclusive interview i recorded in a pub with mark Meehan and neil smith who are two of the authors of the new book eddie mac eddie mac uh, and uh, their book explores the three seasons between 75 and 1977 where having been relegated eddie mccready and his blue and white army bounced back to division one with a vibrant team of youngsters. This is cracking. Uh, do not miss it. Chidge. JK. In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chidge, I'd be bereft. Inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. <laughs> It's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep, NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow, great. Uh, But yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK. And best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy. I could cry. <laughs> Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chelsea. Okay, welcome back. I'm Stanford Chidge, and you are listening to the Chelsea Fancast. And uh, I'm delighted to say uh, that a couple of weeks ago, um, I recorded a fantastic interview uh, with um, the lovely uh, Mark, me, and, and Neil Smith, who are, who are authors of the uh, new Eddie Mac, Eddie Mac book. And, uh, and here it is. So uh, I find myself in a pub, uh, the Atlas pub, actually, which is a fine establishment and one that uh, Chelsea supporters know very well, the Chelsea Supporters Trust knows very well. And I find myself in a pub 
uh, on a Saturday afternoon, actually in real time, slightly after the final whistle would have gone. So there's no surprise there. Uh, the only surprise really is that I've not been at a Chelsea game. But I'm delighted that I'm going to spend the next hour or two talking Chelsea to some fantastic uh, friends of mine. They are Mr Neil Smith. Hello. And Mr Mark Mead. Good afternoon, Chidge. And these uh, two fine gentlemen are two of the brains behind a fantastic book which is uh, hitting the shelves in a couple of weeks uh, called Eddie Mac, Eddie Mac. Uh, no surprise, therefore, what it's going to be about. It's about uh, Eddie McCready, but we'll talk to, talk to them more about that in a second. But first of all, I'm going to ask them some personal questions. Neil's already looking worried. Uh, but Neil, I mean, I've known you for a while, um, and, and I know the answer to this, but the listeners won't. When did you first start supporting Chelsea? 1966. 1966? Yeah, I went to my first game on the 9th of April 1966, which was Easter Saturday, and we trounced West Ham. 6 2. 6 that, 2. That's right. It was my first ever, my first ever visit to Stamford Bridge, and uh, it's just over 50, that's 51 years ago. Yeah, I mean, it's also, I mean, I, that's a year after I was born. Right. So, you know, I, I, not only do I feel inferior, I feel thoroughly intimidated now. <laughs> but that's fantastic. So, you've been a supporter for 50 years. Yeah, that's right. In fact, I, something I was topping up this week, believe it or not. I keep all records of every game I went to, like the sad people we are. Of course. Um, you know, and um, I actually topped it up where I was this week. And can you believe it that if you count three playoff games at the end of 1987-88 as first-class games and six charity oblique community shield games, the last home game against Southampton was my 2000th. So there we go. So we've got some uh, some amazing experience around the table. We've also got Mark, as I said. Now, Mark, same question to you. I mean, I, I put you as a slightly younger younger than uh, Neil, but I could be being rude there. Uh, no, not at all. Um, 24th of April 1970, fourth round of the FA Cup. We played Burnley at home, and that's the reason why I'm a Chelsea supporter. My father, when he was alive... And if you think in the 1970s, a lot of people had more than one job. Uh, so someone he worked with, second job, he bound the Chelsea programmes in Queen's Park. So one Saturday, he brought home the programme for the Chelsea Burnley game. Coincidentally, that game was on match of the day that night. So from that moment onwards, Chelsea were my team. Of course, we won the FA Cup that year. So a good start as a Chelsea fan. So my first game was the following season. We played Coventry City at home, obviously went there to see my idol then, Peter Osgood, who sadly was injured. So the centre-forward that day was a gentleman called Peter Feely, who was up front with Derek Smethurst, and Feely and Smethurst got the goals in a 2-1 victory. Feely and Smethurst, they sound like a firm of lawyers. (laughs) (laughs) Smethurst and Feely, maybe, would be better. I mean, that's astonishing. I mean, I, I mean, I know we're going to talk about Eddie Mack and, and just go absolutely nuts about talking about Eddie Mack and that side, uh, particularly the side from 76-77, which won promotion from the old Division 2. Uh, I mean, there are loads of people. I know the listeners know when I first started sport Chelsea, and it's, it's quite a quirk of fate, actually, that when I, mean, I was only 11-12 at the time, and I went to Stamford Bridge in 76 because I went to the FA Cup semi-final between Southampton and Palace because I grew up in Hampshire and my dad thought it would be a treat mind you he was a Portsmouth fan so I suppose not taking me there would have been a treat Uh, so he took me to the semi-final of the Cup and of course it was at Stamford Bridge and I I stood in the shed and I I just was absolutely I fell in love with the stadium there and then 
So I went home, and all I wanted to know about was Chelsea after that. And of course, so I actually first started kind of supporting them, albeit vicariously on a horrible little TV in the living room on the big match for you know that first season, the season we're going to talk about, while you were all there. So that's how lucky you boys are. But there you go. Um, I mean, so you would have been what? You'd have been kind of twenty. Oh, yeah, in the, in the 76, yeah. 77 season, I was 21. In 21. 19, in 1977, I became 21. Right. So in 76, I was 20. So Mark would have been... I would have 14. 14. Yeah. So that's kind of really interesting contrast in ages, yes. actually. Yes. Yeah, it is. I mean, before we get into it, because we're going we're gonna to spend... I should tell the listener, all the listeners, really, we're going to have a little bit of uh, time talking about the book itself, uh, and then we're going to absolutely go silly, loopy, indulgent talking about not just the 76-77 season but a, a little bit before because I think it, it deserves a bit of context uh, and then we're going to talk about this fantastic launch event that's coming up on uh, May the 20, 20th. 20th isn't it, yeah which is going to be under the bridge um, but first things first uh, and I'm sure the answer is probably quite, quite obvious really but why choose Eddie Mack as the subject for a bookmark and I, sh- I should also say that if you follow Twitter Mark is easy to find because your Twitter handle is Mark uh, Eddie McCready's Blue and White Army. Exactly. There we go. The clue is always in the question, isn't it? Why um, a book about Eddie McCready? I think we'd call it um, the greatest Chelsea story never told. I think if you look down, you know, over the years, most of the eras of Chelsea have been covered in the printed words. So you've had the Sexton era, you've had the Viali era, you've had the Hullet era the Abramovich and Mourinho era, and obviously our co-author Mark Warren has published a lot of books around some of those subjects. And I think how the book came about um, was, I think it coincided with when Mark, Kelvin and Dave Johnson published um, their last book, which which was Making History, Not Reliving History. And I was speaking to Dave and saying, the one book that's never been written is about Eddie McCready. And Dave Johnson said, well, funny that." we plan to do our next book on that exact subject. So um, the three gentlemen question already had that in mind, so I came on board very quickly, and I think that was three years ago. So it's taken us three years to come to the finished article. And this is your first book. And is, is it your first book, yes, Smithy? Yes, it is as well, yeah. The yeah, mm. first one I've been involved with, because David, David told me about the project and said all of my anecdotes ought to get in there somewhere, because I do a bit here and there for the fanzine and... Indeed, I used to do a bit for Bridge News, the forerunner, the forerunner of the paper, newspaper before the Chelsea magazine. But did you write for the Chelsea Independent? I did as well. I thought yeah, you might yeah, have I had bits yeah. in there, bits and pieces in there about old games. So they, David said, "Come on, you know, do do something for us." So I, you know, I thank him for that, and uh, glad that I got involved at the end, as it were. Yeah, and I mean, but it was Dave's idea and, and Mark and Kelvin. Uh, it's, it's a combination of both, because um, it's actually my third book. Uh, I was going to that, I've got, I've got previous history. Uh, and You've it's, got history. I've got pre- something for Chelsea. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, it's the one book, you know, that for many years now, you know, I've, I've had that, and some of the stuff I had for the book is going back many years. Yeah. I tried to do it years ago, couldn't get a publisher. So again, I was just delighted that David, you know, Mark and Kelvin just thought along, along similar lines. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I mean, I, I mean, a lot of the listeners know about Mark and, and, and the books that he's published, and, and Mark does a huge uh, service, I think, to Chelsea supporters by allowing many of us to get our books published when they otherwise might not have, not have been. Um, 
I mean, in, in some senses, a very narrow and truncated period of Chelsea's history. But I suspect that this took quite a while to write. This is not the kind of book you can write in, in, in six months, is it? No, I, you know, it, it's taken, as I said, well, even more than three years, you know, from sort of the idea first, you know, came into conception. And you've seen the end product, it's 460 pages long. So, you know, that's a result of three years' hard labour by the, by the five of us. I mean, I have, to, I have to confirm, as I no doubt all of you will when you buy this fine book, this is a proper book. It's thick and replete with pages and lots of words therein. And that's what I also love about the way that Mark does this, is that, you know, I mean, Kelvin's the, the, the barometer of this, but, I mean, the celery book's something like 950 pages long. I mean, a lot of publishers say, can you yeah. just kind of edit that down to, like, 400? Yeah. So we're, we're very lucky, I think, in the fact that he allows us to do that. Um, and I think, to be fair to Mark, I think he's had many a sleep this night trying to pull this together just to make sure it's ready for the 20th of May. So he's done a fantastic job. Yeah, great stuff. So, so guys, um, you know, it, it would be quite easy to assume what the content and the narrative is. But having, having not read the book yet, um, Mark, tell, uh, sorry, Smithy, tell, tell us what you think. You know, what's the content and the narrative of it? Where does it start? Well, it starts with... You know, Eddie becoming the manager with only a couple of games left in the horrible season of 1974-75 when um, relegation was staring us in the face. And uh, Eddie came in with sort of three games left. Um, the club were, even then, on the verge of bankruptcy. Um, every every game, you, did, you know, you heard more stories about the escalating debt up to £3 million and, you know what was going to happen and then lo and behold we, we were sadly relegated in those last three games and then Eddie had one season to sort of get to know the, get to know his players and blood with the youngsters and um, we had a season which you know had some good bits and good bits and pieces in it in 75, 76 and then lo and behold the big one going back yeah. in 76, 77 you know 40 years ago getting promotion and uh, it, you know it meant so much to the supporters and the club that you know that, you know it, it was it was what you would call or bust you know shit or bust yes indeed yes. yeah you know and uh, luckily you know he got us through and uh, I think you know being of that age being 20, 21 at that time uh, I was much the same age as you know as Ray yeah. Wilkins yeah. and a lot of players and I, and I actually you know did actually know but you would have been older than Ray actually then well only a little bit yeah. but um, a lot of the people around where I lived because I lived in Buckinghamshire and Hillingdon where Butch was from was only down the road yeah. and a lot of my mates had played against him yeah. been, been at school with him and whatever and you know it was all like we were all pulling together you know we were all singing from the same song sheet and you know it was it was you know it was almost life or death really, you know there couldn't be any half measures we had to we had to get back into the first division to just stay alive because I think I mean we, we will talk about this in, in, in massive detail but just to kind of set the scene a bit we got relegated in 75 uh, and then Eddie got the job as you said and then he basically had that first season managing the team 76, 70, hang on, I'll get my dates right here. 75, 76 was the, one, the first one down 76, in the second yeah, division. That's right, 70, which they finished mid-table, and then yeah. 76, 77 yeah. was, the, was the, the, the season that everybody kind of eulogises about that, these that's days. That's right. And we'll, we will get on to that in, in a minute. But uh, um, 
Were you not tempted, Mark, to start a little bit earlier? Because Eddie, Eddie had been a fantastic player for us, hadn't he, since the early 60s. Well, strangely, we've ended up going back, um, but that's through Eddie rather than our doing. Because, as, as Neil said, yeah, we've, we've started the book literally from when you know, Eddie finishes his playing career, he has his testimonial against Manchester United, and then becomes a manager. And we follow it through to his last day as manager. But in trying to sort of put the book together, we thought the book would not work without something from Eddie McCready in the book. So his contribution to the book, he goes back to the very beginning of his career and he tells his own story in the book about his playing days in Scotland, coming down to Chelsea and all the way through to where he is in the present day. So, I mean, so basically Eddie's in there. You've done a massive interview with Eddie then? Yes, we have. And I think when we tried to track Eddie down, it was almost like a journey in itself. Um, How it started was at the same time we were planning for the book, there was a journalist called, I think, Alan Petullo, who writes for The Scotsman, and he did an interview with Eddie in, in February 2014, and I think I remember reading it on, online, going up to, I think, an Aston Villa away game. Um, and then shortly afterwards, Neil Barnett at Chelsea did the interview where he went over to America. So we sort of obviously spoke to Neil. There was also um, a local newspaper over in Tennessee that did a similar article, so I had contact with that journalist and said, look, we're trying to track Eddie down. We know he's a very bright man. Can you help us? So the journalist, I think her name was Becky, that wrote like the Boone Creek Times or something in you know, Tennessee. Uh, and she said a good starting point was Eddie's wife, Linda, runs a quilt firm in Tennessee. So I looked it up online. There was a firm called Tennessee Quilts. I emailed Linda saying, you don't know me, but we're doing this book about your husband, is there any chance that we could do an interview? And I did a number of emails, got no reply back. We spoke to Neil again, and then out of the blue, Neil rang me one day, and he said, look, I've spoken to Eddie, the interview is on. Um, He doesn't want to do it over the phone. What he would like you to do is if you could email him the questions. So sent an email, 20 questions in there. He came back and said, giving it a bit of thought, I might take a while, and we said, take as long as you like, just delighted to have you part of the book. Um, And then lo and behold, several months later, he sent through his response, and it ran to 80 pages. Wow. And it was a wow factor. That is wow, isn't it? That is wow. That wasn't, I don't think any were expecting that. We sent 20 questions we thought might get a couple of pages back. And he is, in fact, written his life story. (laughs) Wow. Not what you expected at all. Not what I expected. And I think, you know, a good example would be, I emailed all the guys straight away and said, you have to read this. And probably about two hours later, Mark Worrell emailed me back and said, he was so engrossed in the book. He missed his train stop home by six stops. <laughs> yeah, it's that it, when you read it, you, I read it in one afternoon on holiday because I was on holiday at the time and Eddie emailed through to me. And you read it in one sitting, you cannot put it down. You get completely engrossed in his life story. Wow. I mean, so so in a, in a sense, I, I don't know. It sounds as though it might have been a bit cathartic for Eddie because uh, I mean, most people who know Chelsea know that he's a hard man to track down, and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't like talking to. You know the press or the media. He doesn't come over to England, really. I don't, I don't know the last time he was over, but it was a long time ago. So in a sense, I get the feeling from that that it was quite a cathartic experience for him. And in a, in a sense, you kind of enabled him to kind of do his own autobiography. I mean, is, is that kind of a, 
the sense of that you get uh, Smithy? Yeah, it is, the, it is very much so. You know, when I, when I read it, I was blown away, like Mark said. I, I, could, I just couldn't believe it. You know, there were things that I did know and didn't know. But um, generally, you know, to, to give... He, he spoke from the heart. He spoke from the heart. And one of the things you'll get from the book is that he, he um, he's not self-opinionated. He always, as, and we'll come to it, as and when we won promotion, he just wanted the players to, to, to have all the plaudits, all the accolades. And I think he was touched that somebody wanted to go out of their way and actually after 40 years later say to him, uh, can you give us something? Well, he... he you know, as it was, yeah. I think as Time he was right. Well, as he knew we weren't journo's yeah. and we weren't from the club exactly. We're just, you know, everyday supporters, some of us. Anyway, and uh, <laughs> I, 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 I think, yeah. I think, I think that's why he, ga- he gave it his heart and soul. Yeah. And you know, and, and that's, that's that's just where that's, it is. That's that's. I mean, it's that's interesting you say that. I mean, you know. I, I mean, really between the lines, does he does he still have an issue with the club? And you can choose how you want to answer this, Mark, because, of course, the, the famous story that everybody knows about, well, the almost incredulous story that I grew up with, uh, which is that, you know, for the love of a car, we lost potentially one of the greatest managers we could have had at the time, because, you know... They, they didn't offer the car, so he didn't didn't sign the deal. Didn't know you don't because this might be a bit of a reveal of the book, and I get that. So you don't have to answer it. But is there still a bit of conflict with the club there? Do you think? No, um, and, and I think your your previous line about cathartic is absolutely the right way to describe it. He covers that in detail in the Does book, he? and I think. Um, bringing it out and I don't think we're giving anything away if you've read some of the articles and seen the Neil Garner interview Eddie's faith is very important to him now yeah. you know, he's a very peaceful man he's a very religious man so whatever the issues were years ago they no longer exist now he's been through that process You know, he's done probably his own self-analysis and he does, without revealing too much you'll need to read and buy the book to see it you know, he does say in the book, you know, all those myths, you know, they aren't what people thought they were. It wasn't about the car, you know, whatever people thought. He didn't actually it was about ask... stereo in the car. <laughs> he, he, he didn't actually ask for anything. Although <laughs> really? there is a bit in there where he does say when he comes back later, and I think he's talking to Chelsea about taking the late David Stride on loan, and he looked out into the car park. And there's a nice brand new car in there. And he says to club secretary, Christine Matthews, oh, whose car is that? And I think she says, oh, that's Ken Shellato's car. <laughs> and then there was a moment there where he's thinking, well, they didn't get me. But no, to be fair to him, when you read the book, you'll see he makes it absolutely clear. And the journey he's been on over the last 40 years, at times, it's been a difficult journey for him. But it, it was never about the car. One of, one of the only things I, th- I think to add in there, as you know, Mark, is that um, it's quite easy for people just to like. Mark interviewed nearly all the players of, of the squad, which you'll, you'll, you'll see in the book. And um, one of the things is that Eddie doesn't want to refer to him as ever being sacked. He wasn't sacked, and it's quite easy for people now, 40 years later, just in their general verbatim, to say, "Oh, he was sacked, wasn't he?" But he, he wasn't sacked. He resigned over a matter of principle, and, and uh, that's as it was. A bit like Mourinho, many years later. Maybe, yes, yes. 
some similarity. It, it, interesting you mentioned sort of Jose Mourinho because in our diary with Eddie, because we started with email me the questions, and over the last year the relationship has grown and there's a dialogue and yeah, emails are going back and forth. And he does mention Mourinho. Does he? And he actually got invited by Chelsea and Mourinho when they were on an American tour a few years ago yeah. to come over, and he declined. Did he? Yeah, he said, you know, thank you very much, but you. Know, it's not about me, it's about you guys. He's, he's a very modest man. Wow. Yeah, he is. And he's a very deep man as well. And just having sort of, like, never even met him, but having that relationship through email, he does reveal a lot, you know, in his, his correspondence. Yeah. Mm, interesting stuff. I mean, you mentioned uh, a minute ago you, you've interviewed some players as well. I, I, I'll be really honest with you, you know and, and I know, and I know having, you know, done what I've done for many years, it's really quite hard to get uh, players to agree to interviews but I do believe that these books are enriched by interviews with them and I, and I don't mean that they should just be like you know okay we'll have 20 pages of that interview then on to the next one it needs to be interspersed with our narrative as supporters but there's something about the interviews with the players that does enrich it so I mean have you got have you got I mean how many of them did you get Smithy did you get most of the squad or was it about, was it 14 or 14 20 or 20 so can you list them this is not a test by the way whether I cheat and look in the book or I try and do it from memory a bit like Eddie you're absolutely right what we said is it doesn't really work without the players yeah. in there as well and I think similar in Kelvin and Mark and Dave's book when they did the Arsenal game in 84 yeah, yeah. when they, they did the player interviews for that so again I was tasked that was my role to track these players down wow. so it involved a phenomenal amount of detective work it's not, e- it's not as easy as some people might think I mean this is like 40, 40 years ago it's not and I'll, I'll give a good example and the internet is an absolutely marvellous thing and clearly John Sparrow was part of that playing squad and I was searching on the internet and you have those sites for saying where are they now yeah. and it was listed that John Sparrow was a postman or shopkeeper in Plymouth so I managed to sort of track, track this John Sparrow down to this shop in the high street in Plymouth and I rang him up and I said um, you don't know me um, is that John Sparrow he goes yes I'd very much like to do an interview with you. And he said, if you think I'm the John Sparrow that played for Chelsea, I'm really sorry to say, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so again, the internet gets it wrong sometimes. We, we tracked down 20 of the players. The only players we didn't succeed in having an interview with was Bill Garner, with the best intention to try to contact Bill and had no success. Ian Hutchinson, who sadly well, of course, yeah. passed away. Yeah. Uh, Peter Benetti, who again sadly is in not, not well good health, yeah. we did try, you know, had conversations with his his carer. It just didn't it didn't work out. Um, and then Brian Basson, so we couldn't track Brian Basson down. But I'm pleased to say we spoke to him this week, and he's coming along to the event on May the twentieth. But the other twenty members of the squad who played for Eddie over those two seasons, we've done an e- an interview with each and every one of them. And, I mean, have they all been really good interviews? I mean. I mean, it sounds like Eddie's clearly been the keynote interview in the book for obvious reasons, but seems to have been quite special and far greater than you expected. But out of the other interviews of the players, who, who comes across really well? Uh, I think they all do in their own way. Um, and ha- having done, I think, the great majority of the interviews, I think each one is unique in itself. The only common theme is their absolute love for that manager. It wow. really comes out strong from each and every player. There's something unique about Eddie McCready which makes the book even all that more special because in the football dressing room, you know, players don't always get on with managers and cliques develop. 
this it was a very tight bonded dressing room who was 100% behind their manager and even to this day they hold him in really high regard and as Neil was saying the reverse side he holds them in equally high regard he's done a, a, a sort of like sort of an introduction for the programme for um, the launch night and he says in there managers don't win things players win things and these guys did it for me you know, he has so much love for play and vice versa they, they all had their own, you know, lots of interesting facts in there. Some of them, we had to sort of go a long way to find them. Gary Locks in New Zealand, David Hayes in Glasgow, John Phillips, you know, who sadly passed away recently. He was in Florida. Yeah. So they are scattered in other parts of the world. Brian Basson, he's in France. Amazing. Well, well done for tracking them down. And, I, and as I said, I think for me, that that's what absolutely enriches books like these when you... We've got uh, you know all these contributions from the players that were actually there doing it on the pitch. You know what? In the nine years I've been doing this show, I don't think I've had as much fun doing this interview in, in the entire nine years. So I'd like to thank uh, both Neil Smith and, and Mark Meehan tremendously for uh, sharing a few beers and a lot of fantastic chat with me. Um, before we we finally wrap up, when does the book get launched, Mark? Uh, the book gets launched on the twentieth of May. If you go on Amazon now, if you are a Kindle fan, you can pre-order on Kindle. If you are a paperback fan, you can pre-order on paperback. Or go through Mark Morrell's website, gate17.co.uk, and you can order it through there. And uh, how much is it? It is uh, £20. Um, If you come along on the night, uh, you will get that free as part of the event. Hopefully... Um, the two to three hundred people come along on the night will have a collector's edition item because what Mark hopefully has done is he's put the date and the event on the back of the book so anyone that doesn't come along can still buy the book in the format I've got in front of me but those lucky people coming on the night will have a collector's edition version it'll be date stamped for that particular evening well there we go I, I, I need to share this with you but I actually bought a ticket for the book launch event quicker than I've ever bought a ticket for a Chelsea match. That's how much I wanted to go to this event. So I am so looking forward to it. It's going to be a cracking night, but even more to the point, it's going to be a fantastic read. And if half of what you said is in the book, it's going to be a blinding book. So guys, thank you so much. And good luck with it all. I hope it sells lots of copies. Thank you. Absolutely brilliant, uh, brilliant stuff. I really, really enjoyed talking to those two boys uh, a few weeks ago. Great to be in a pub with them having a few beers whilst doing it, of course. But uh, I'm also delighted to tell you lot listening that um, there is, in fact, a full, uh, about an hour and a half's worth of that interview, uh, which I've I've cobbled together and I'll be, I'll be putting up as a kind of a podcast in its own right, uh, hopefully sometime this week. Uh, so do look out for that because uh, in 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 the remainder of that interview, uh, Mark and Smithy basically give their their more detailed kind of recollections of of that season and what it was like to to be part of Eddie McCready's Blue and White Army. Uh, of course, the other thing is, um, yeah, they've got the uh, the launch of it on Saturday night at under the bridge. Uh, um, as you figured out, I I'm lucky enough to have a ticket. I know lots of other people have. I think it's possibly going to be one of the the fa- most fantastic uh, book launches that. Um, we've ever had uh, of this kind of genre, and I, and I know that there's, you know, they've got most of the uh, the 1976-77 squad there. It's going to be absolutely superb. I will 
hopefully uh, maybe try and record a few things there while I'm there and, and try and include it in the in the show next week. We'll see. I mean, you know, obviously I've got a lot of stuff to do, including getting drunk and having a nice time, but we'll see. It would be great. Um, the other thing is, of course, if you're not at the event, uh, the book is launched on Saturday, and of course the best way to get hold of a copy is to go to Mark Worrell's publishing company, gate17.co.uk. Uh, but also, you know, if you follow Mark, as, as he said on uh, Eddie McCready's Blue and White Army on Twitter, you'll uh, you'll be able to find out more information on the book, and we'll be plugging it for the rest of the season, of course. But anyway, thanks to Mark and Smithy. They were brilliant. Uh, and while we're on the subject, because we had Tim Rolls uh, on the show last week, and uh, his book, uh, uh, Diamonds, uh, Do- uh, Di- Diamonds, Dynamos and Devils, uh, about uh, Tommy Doherty's side of the mid-60s, is now uh, launched the crowdfunding campaign for it. Uh, and you can go to his site, which is a Kickstarter site, and pledge uh, to buy a book. Uh, if 200 people pledge, he will publish it. It's well worth it. Best way to find out information about that is to go to at DocsDiamonds on Twitter. Or if you go to Kickstarter, just search for Diamonds, Dynamos and Devils. Anyway, uh, just a couple of uh, plugs before we go, of course. It's... Uh, uh, you know, join the Chelsea Supporters Trust, who, in fact, actually, I should mention, I mean, you know, the Supporters Trust have uh, sponsored, uh, one of the sponsors of the Eddie McCready deal on Saturday, uh, something that we felt that was very, very worthwhile, as is the Trust. So, of course, if you haven't already, join the Trust, get your voice heard by the club. It's only five quid to become a voting member. Of course, the elections will be coming up in August. We've got the membership survey coming out very, very soon. Uh, it's free for non-voting members, but frankly, you know, it's only a fiver, and you get to vote, and you get to come to a, come to the meetings and all the events that we do, uh, and vote on the issues that directly affect you. So make sure you get your voice heard. Join the trust. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Chelsea S Trust, or go to the website ChelseaSupportersTrust.com. Uh, and of course, while you're at it, the CPO is still very important. If you want to own a little bit of Chelsea and protect the future of the club forever. Go and buy a share at the Chelsea pitch owners who, of course, own the freehold of Stamford Bridge and whose aim it is to ensure that Chelsea Football Club will remain playing football at the bridge. Uh, find out how to buy a share for 100 quid. Uh, email info at chelseapitchowners.com or check out chelseafc.com forward slash fans forward slash Chelsea hyphen pitch hyphen owners. Follow them on Twitter at pitch owners. Uh, and as I said, you can buy a share for around 100 quid or you can pay for one in installments so you don't have to shell out the 100 quid all in one go. Uh, and finally, the latest and last issue of the season uh, of CFC UK is, of course, available. So if you're going along to the Sunderland match on Sunday, make sure you stop by the CFC UK stall and get yourself a copy. Say hello to DJ and Marco and me if I'm around. Uh, if you can't get it in person, you can always get it digitally by subscribing online at cfcuk.net. And uh, if you're in the USA, follow Twitter account at CFC UK USA and if anyone is interested in getting a CFC copy a real copy contact Dan Lundberg on Twitter at D Lundberg underscore right after the break we're going to have loads of emails from you the listeners from all over the blue world we'll see you in a sec real fans real opinions I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea! Footballfancast.com Okay, welcome back. It's Stanford Chidge, and you're listening to a very happy uh, champion winner's uh, we're, we're bossing it, basically, on the Chelsea Fancast tonight, and bossing it with me are the lovely Dan Silver. Hello. Uh, the 
Hello, hello, Dan. Hello, Seb. How are you? Hello, bonsoir. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. You're, Seb is Mr. Boss Winger. In fact, actually, I'm just wondering, and, I'm, and we've got the lovely Oliver Harbord in here before I start waffling off on, on, on stuff, but it, it, it occurred to me that I was wondering if the Aspilicueta song, the, the alternative version, uh, or he's Aspilicueta... Uh, he's like Basingwa, but better. He's Aspilicueta, that one. I was hoping that that was getting an outing. I don't know. Did it get an outing last night? Not last night, no. I don't oh, know. If on no. Friday, mate. Maybe on Friday with Dan, I don't know. Yeah. No, I didn't. We'll just call you Dave. He needs a proper song. Well, I like the, yeah. I like the Aspilicueta, he's like Basingwa, but only better. Yeah. I think that was quite I've got a good the perfect one. Yeah. Why don't you give me an A? Hey, <laughs> that that would keep Walter Ossin going for a season, wouldn't it? That one. Yeah. I mean, the only other one is that I'm kind of delighted that I've seen on Twitter that a few people have, are beginning to pick up on Pablo's genius moment of the year, which is to invent the uh, Batshuayi. Aha, aha, I like it. Aha, aha. I think that's beginning to get a bit of traction. I mean, as, I remember actually talking to Pablo about it on the time when we mentioned it on the show and we felt that actually we, it had no hope because he just wasn't getting picked. And if you don't get picked, you don't get a song. But there you go. Right, we well, should got move on. Got, uh, you, so you've got another one. Got breaking news, yeah. breaking news. Sorry, that's sorry, Dan, go on. That's why we're champions. Oh, I like that. That's why we're champions. That's why we're champions. I like it. I like it a lot. All right, we we must move on because uh, we've got loads and loads and loads and loads of emails tonight, which is a very great shame because, of course, the uh, email reader-in-chief is is absent tonight. Um, And actually, on that point, Mac Bergson did send a, a wonderful email in. Um, but because I knew Jonathan wasn't going to be here tonight and I know that you've asked him a few questions, I'm going to save it for next week, Mac, if that's all right. So... um, First up, we've got one from John Hansen, who says, Chidge and the boys and girl, thanks for spending so much time on the podcast. I look forward to listening to your show from Austin, Texas, every Monday and Thursday. I think your show does so much to bridge the community for fans who live abroad. Hopefully, I'll be able to save up enough money to visit the bridge before construction starts, and I'll be able to thank you all in person, uh, he says in a Texas drawl. Um, My question is, what do you think Chelsea would look like uh, if we'd never sold Matter. No matter how many times I see it, Matter always looks weird wearing a red shirt. When he was playing for us, it seemed like he was destined to be the captain someday. That was one transfer that genuinely made me sad. Um, and I can't help but wonder what we'd look like if he'd stuck around. The easiest correlation is between Matter and Fabregas. Offensive-minded, weaker on defence, great pass at ETC. Do you think Matter would be able to challenge Fabregas in our side? Bonus question... Who's your biggest regret that we sold? John. Um, that's a really good cup. I'm sorry, the first question is, I'm going to ask Seb the first one, um, Matter. Matter or Fabregas? Um, you know, who, who was better, do you think? Who was better? God. Um, it's difficult because they don't necessarily play the same position because Matter's more of a number 10. Yeah. So it's difficult to compare directly. But in terms of quality, God, it's difficult because... Because Matt, Matt at, at the time, um, he, he, he was imperious. He was, even in the under the Benitez regime, he was he was a standout player um, and won the Champions League and won FA Cup. But with Fabregas, it, he, I think he's got that slight edge over him. So I'd have to say Fabregas, but I do miss Matter a lot. Not going to lie. Mm, okay. Uh, I'm going to ask it to all of you, actually. Why not? Dan, what, what do you reckon? Matter or, or Chess? Yeah. Uh, echo what Seb said. I think it, it's, it's very close, but Fabregas just just tips it for me. Mm. 
Yeah, That's a good I point, he's more, actually. He's more influential in, in the wider game. I don't think matters, but occasionally disappear, but Fabregas is always kind of involved. So it's a very, very close thing, but Fabregas for me. Ollie, how about you? Yeah, I'm, I'm same. I'm, I'm a big, big fan of Seth Fabregas. Just the way he passes the ball and splits open defences uh, from a from a deeper position, really. Um, you know, matter being sold when he did was seemed slightly odd. Obviously, he'd won a couple of Player of the Years, didn't he? Um, and that was a, a bit of a strange decision. But yeah, just just Fabregas for me, I think. Mm. It's a shame, isn't it? Because I mean, I, I loved Matter. I think a, a lot of what everybody loved about Matter was that he was just such a lovely bloke and and and, and had a rare a rare skill. I think what they used to say. I mean, he was left-footed, as I recall. And I think they used to, they always used to say this in the old days. Always oh, got a sweet left foot, an educated left foot. I always remember pundits saying that. Cultured, cultured, yeah. Any any one of those. Okay, uh, next question, and we'll just just quick quickly on this one, uh, Dan. Who is who is your who is the biggest regret? That we sold. Well, how they turned out now, I would say De Bruyne. I think he, he in this team, I think he'd be he'd absolutely flourish in this team instead of maybe, instead of maybe a Pedro. I think De Bruyne. So I think he's I think he's a quality player. Okay, not not Cuadrado or, or, or Salah then. <laughs> second and third. Yeah, Dan, make sure you've got your mic away from your jacket because you're you're making a huge background noise with it. Uh, Ollie, who's your who's the biggest regret from from who we sold? Um, I've always been a massive Iron Robin fan. Um, mm. As a as natural left footer myself, uh, watching Iron Robin play was uh, it was always exciting to see him still scoring the goals he does at thirty three. Um, he's just an inc- I always loved him, and to see him go was was a real shame. Um, he's, he could still provide so much in in the years that had gone by. So yeah, Iron Iron Robin for me. Seb. I've got two players. If we're talking about in the system and everything, I think Andre Schoeller, I think he would have been a good player in this squad, um, in the system, playing that wing-back role. I think that would have really suited him. But in terms of overall, it's my my, my favourite player of all time is Ida Johnson. Um, mm. I just I, I just think at the time, uh, obviously the lure of going to Barcelona, it's, it's difficult. But yeah, for, for, for my... my um, my uh, favourite player is Ida, so for him, him would be my biggest regret. Okay, well, I'm I'm going to be greedy, which I can because you know it's, it, I'm the presenter, so I can. But uh, I'm going to start off with Pat Nevin. I think that's probably of the players that I I saw. You know, uh, Pat was my greatest. I was I almost cried. I, I might even have cried if uh, if I can recall. Um, I was so drunk in those days, I can't really remember. But Pat Nevin definitely. Um, <laughs> Peter Osgood, who I was too young to really see play for Chelsea, but um, I think if one can step back in time, I would I would say Peter Osgood. Uh, Planet Earth is Blue has nailed it, as far as I'm concerned, because he said Jimmy Greaves, and um, I Jimmy Greaves is the one player that I regret never having seen play live. Forget George Best, all of that. For me, it's Jimmy Greaves. I have made programmes where I have eulogised Jimmy Greaves and sadly, most of that eulogising has been with him wearing a Tottenham shirt, although I always used to do my darndest to dig out the not a lot of footage there is of Jimmy Greaves scoring for Chelsea, but whatever footage there existed, I would always put in and make it look like he was much more of a Chelsea player. Um, and, I, and, I, and I agree with Planet Earth is blue on that totally. Uh, and my last one... Can I just, uh, just throw for, in... Sorry, sorry, Dan? Yeah, so I was going to throw in one completely forgot. Kerry Dixon, before he, he broke the record. That's yeah, the 
So, well, he he as as you know, because he said to us in the past, he really regrets yeah. the fact that he didn't stick around, and he and he could and should have done. Uh, my last my last regret of a player that we sold just for shits and giggles, and I'm seeing him on Thursday is uh, Jason Cundy. So there you go. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> anyway, uh, moving swiftly along. I mean, Jason, I just not. I mean, you know, when I first met Jace, we 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 did a show and. Uh, on the set of the show, which was like done as a load of fence panels, like a garden shed, we we spray painted "Bring Cundy Back" uh, on 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 our on our shed, and because actually that was what was spray painted on the east stand, as I recall, because he was well loved and he was uh, one for the future. But we sold him to Spurs, and uh, as Jace will tell you, the rest was downhill. Right, uh, more emails from people. This one is from Peter Bryant, and he says, "Hi, Chidge." Uh, I don't know if you remember, but my email was read out a few weeks ago. It was the one where I was moaning about the I hate Tottenham in the liquidator, quite right. Uh, Anyway, it looks like we are nearly there, but I am with Antonio. I like it in the bed before I properly celebrate. The pod continues to be great. No doubt Peter is now celebrating. Uh, The reason for emailing is that a teacher at my kids' school in High Wycombe recently ran the marathon for a local children's arthritis charity, and now he has a signed Eden Hazard shirt... He is selling through a silent auction. He got it from a former pupil who now who now works at Chelsea. I've got some pictures. Um, I was just wondering if you could mention it on the pod or the website. I do appreciate, though, that you can't put everything like this on the pod or the website. But if you could do it, I can give you more details. Cheers, Peter. So um, here we go. If anybody is interested in bidding for um, a signed Eden Hazard uh, shirt, uh, I think the thing to do is to email me uh, chelseafancast at gmail.com and then I will put you in touch with Peter. How does that sound? Right, uh, next email from Steve Nicolian. Um, Hi Chich and your esteemed posse, I think he means posse, of uh, Chelsea experts. Uh, th- firstly, I think a lot of Fancast fans are very relieved that the bus can be rem- uh, can be remained parked and will not be flying over the end of Beachy Head next week. Uh, you're not alone in that. Uh, I, although there are probably lots of listeners who might think otherwise. But anyway, it would really have been too much to see Spurs win the title. The already over-the-top praise for them would have been nauseating in its extreme. Moreover, we would have had to mourn the loss of the best Chelsea podcasters. Surely he can't mean us. Uh, anyway, long may you go on. We we, we will try. Um, I'm actually the son of a Spurs fan who was dragged to three-point lane, two in old money, at a young age in the early 70s, but I I never felt any affinity to the club, and much to my father's chagrin, I became a Super Blues fan. Uh, This was partly because a mate of mine from school, who had already pinned his colour to the Chelsea mask, persuaded his dad to take us to the bridge. I can still remember the immense joy I had, and the feeling of being at home, watching my first match versus Wolverhampton Wanderers. I've been hooked since then. It could also have been owing to the fact that the Chelsea team photo was the centre spread in Shoot magazine that particular week. That that was how things were back then, with the limited exposure we had. My father will be 83 next week, and it's hard to believe that he was just a few years older than his grandsons are now when they last won the league. Nowadays, he's resigned himself to the fact that his son and grandsons, who, of course, due to my better persuasion, became Chelsea fans, really were spared the heartache and frustration we've inflicted on them, and they on themselves, over the years. Living in Germany, our trips to the bridge are sadly limited. Uh, But thankfully, since Sky invented football in 1992, plant tongue-in-cheek, Jonathan, uh, and later, thanks to the internet, we don't miss out on any of the action, albeit not enough in the stadium. My sons have been blessed to grow up during the time of our greatest period in our history. How great will it get? 
This is down to the management, I guess, because we do have a habit of shooting ourselves in the feet at at critical times. I just hope that the board support Antonio in getting the players we need and not leave him to muddle on with the players he has, like Carlo had to endure after our double season in 2010. Jose will never be forgotten, but I hope that Antonio will write a new chapter in our history, which will will be better than what's gone before. I really do believe we'll have a great chance of winning the Champions League next season. Keep up the great work, and I hope you never have to think about boarding a bus to East Sussex ever again. All the best, (laughs) Steve Nicolian. Um, He makes some really, really good points there. Um, You know, not least, one of the things that we were talking about a minute ago, Ollie, which was... uh, you know what what will happen next year, and and will 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 Conte get backed uh, in the transfer window this summer, and how will we do in the Champions League? So, Ollie, first to you, how uh, will we fare in the transfer transfer market in the summer? Do you think? Well, they've got the perfect platform to get the players that he needs to get, really, doesn't he? I mean, if you win the Premier League, you're you're the top team in in England, and and in what is seen around the world as the best league in the world, and. And I think Steve's absolutely right there. It is about the board backing him now and, and giving him the trust. I mean, we know that there's the directors above him that sort of get the final say, if you like, over over transfers. And, and that can be a, maybe a frustrating time for a manager. Um, it's a really crucial one because I think next season, you know, it's going to be a second season for Jose at Man United. I'm sure they'll spend big again. It's going to be a second season for Guardiola at Man City. He will definitely spend big, you'd think. And and if he sorts out that defence, then they could be a massive th- uh, threat next year because I'm a big fan of Gabriel, uh, Gabriel Jesus. He looks a quality player. Um, I think he just needs to... They've got the platform to get the players that he, he wants to get, really. And, and if uh, Abramovich backs him, if the board back him, then there's no reason why he can't build a very, very good squad for next season. And, and how do you think we'll do in the Champions League next year? I think it will be a. I do think it will be a tough one. I really do. I think obviously the first aim is always just get through the group. I mean, there'll be a top seed. Uh, just get through that group. Hopefully, get a good last sixteen and, and get into the quarterfinals. I mean, it'd be nice to see an English team actually do well in the Champions League because it's been a bit of a, a barren run for English teams in recent years. And if Chelsea could be the ones to break that, I think that would be a great, great step. I can see. You know, definitely quarterfinals at, at a minimum, uh, a semi-finals. Let's hope so. But then. There are so, so many great teams around Europe at the moment that uh, it will be a difficult one next year, I think. I'm inclined to agree with that. Um, right, because we've got lots of emails, I'm going to push on uh, Seb and Dan, so I don't, don't feel I'm excluding you, but I'll try and bring you in uh, after these. Uh, and this is an absolute cracker, uh, and I know that you two particularly will love this. This is from Philip Monday, and he says, he says, farewell then, White Hart Lane. Ten years ago, it was all lined up. Spurs, sorry, 10 days ago, it was all lined up. Spurs would win at West Ham. Chelsea would slip up at West Brom and victory over a distracted Man United in the swan song at their venerable old ground would see a new leader in the title race. Sadly, while Spurs and the TV companies were simpering at each other like Peter Perfect and Penelope Pitstop in the cartoon classic Wacky Races, Chelsea Football Club have done a dick dastardly and pissed in both their petrol tanks, us supporters sniggering loudly in the background like Muttley. However, it does seem a little unfair that Chelsea fans have been excluded from the general White Hart Lane love-in. After all, who has more happy memories of the place than we do? From Alan Hudson's free kick, creeping under the boot of Cyril Knowles, 
and passed Pat Jennings in the 1972 League Cup semi-final to AVB's fairy tale return to English football unravelling in 2013. The opportunity to bask in a warm glow of contentment when reflecting on past exploits at the lane are varied and many. The 6-1 in 1997. Thumping, Mickey Hazard-inspired wins in 1986 and 89. Yes, you did play for us, Mickey, and you celebrated those wins. The normal service is resumed, 4-0 FA Cup win in 2002. The 6-1 in 1997. Bernard Lambord being the unlikely hero with a spawny winner in 2000. Eddie Newton scoring twice, playing as a makeshift striker in 1992. The 6-1 in 1997. Great individual goals litter this period too. How about Bjarni Goldbeck's uh, Thunderbolt in 1999 or Shevchenko's glorious effort in the FA Cup in 2007? Oh, and did I mention the 6-1 in 1997? My favourite was a 3-1 in August in 1991. We feared the worst as we made our way to the ground past the club shop advertising full match videos available within an hour of the, F, uh, of the final whistle. Spurs were the FA Cup holders. They had lost Gaza, but still had grinning crisp thief Gary Lineker up front, joined a week or so earlier by our former striker, Gordon Jury. Ah, Gordon Jury, last seen by us Chelsea fans kissing the club badge after scoring against title-chasing Liverpool at the tail end of the previous season, presumably to reassure us that rumours that he had yearned to return north were untrue. Pitching up in North London instead sealed his transformation from jukebox to Judas in one fell swoop, but surely would also invoke the immutable law of the X, whereby former players come back to haunt us with goals, a venerable Chelsea tradition observed faithfully over the years by the likes of Jim McCallioge, Peter Rhodes-Brown, Neil Shipperley, David Luiz, and even our traditionally goal-shy fullback Gary Locke. The teams were announced. We shudder as Erlen Jonsson lines up alongside the excellent Paul Elliott. Erland is, rightly, fondly remembered now, in no small part due to his being so shocked at finding himself in the proximity of the opposition goal that he fainted inside the Leicester City box late on in extra time during an FA Cup replay in 1997, winning a crucial penalty in the process. He was still struggling to adapt to English football in 1991, though. We needn't have worried. An early goal from Kerry Dixon at RN quickly settles the nerves, quickly followed by a lovely chip from Kevin Wilson, a former teammate of my brother-in-law at Southern League Banbury United. Jury is floundering, and subject to the most sustained campaign of wholly justified abuse I have ever heard at a football ground from formerly adoring Chelsea supporters. He exchanges words with a close friend and Scotland teammate, the great Steve Clark, referring to the stick he is getting as just banter, no, says Clarky. they really hate you. The crisp thief tries to turn things round, striking a Superman-like pose in the box that sees his fist guide the ball towards the Chelsea goal, where Kevin Hitchcock turns it round the post. Cheating isn't going to save the day today, Gary. At half-time, Spurs decide to liven their sub- subdued fans up by introducing them to the non-Arsenal supporting contestant in the forthcoming world title boxing match at the lane. Uh, enter the perennially absurd, absurd Chris Eubank, who poses and prances like a tit towards the centre circle. I support Spurs because they support me, he proclaims. But if he says anything else, we don't hear it, such as the deafening volume at which the Chelsea fans are singing There's Only One Michael Watson. The afternoon gets better. Andy Townsend gets a third. Kerry has another ruled out for offside but I'm not too worried about more goals. It's a hot day and all those raised arms in acrylic Commodore Amiga replica shirts have proved a job too far for Messrs. Wright, Guard and Lynx. Jury is also continuing to stink the place out. 
The abuse never does abate, and at one point, with his back to us, he lifts up a weary right hand in our direction, a tacit acknowledgement that he is beaten by it. He never really does it for Spurs in his two seasons there, and strangely is never fit to play against Chelsea again. Funny that. Lineker gets a soft goal back, but it's too little too late. As we file out into the streets, a merry, albeit B.O.-addled throng, an extremely long, orderly queue is forming outside the Spurs club shop, but it is not Eric Torsford key rings, or I support Spurs because my dad says so baby outfits that are in demand today, for the queue is entirely comprised of Chelsea fans patiently waiting for their full match video, available within an hour of the final whistle, doubtless with a match summary from a prepubrescent Jermaine Jenis assuring us that Spurs were the better team. Happy days, and farewell again to the lane. I wish Spurs well as they make their way to Wembley, doubtless to quote those great late 20th century philosophers Chaz and Dave, with their knees going all trembly. Equally, I am sure we will all wish them well in their new stadium when that opens, while hoping they lose every game they play there. What an amazing email, <laughs> blimey. Philip, you have uh, you have outdone yourself with that. Um, I was royally Dan. I'm going to go to you first. What an email, and yeah. um, and it's a good point actually. And um, what are your favourite memories from White Hart Lane or Three Point Lane? Should I call it? Uh, outstanding. I think um, the Desai last minute winner when it was two two. Shane was giving it large, and then Desai scored a, a winner in the last minute. That was pretty special. Four uh, 0 in the FA Cup was good. Two 0 in the FA Cup was good. Um, I've generally. I haven't seen us lose at three point lane, which is not saying much, but it's, it's always been a good ground for us. But I think I think the Desai winner because I was actually in the Spurs end because I couldn't get a ticket, so I was next to the Chelsea fans in the Spurs end, and so hard not to celebrate when that ball went in. But I had a smile on my face, but which was like, yeah, he's Chelsea. So yeah, three two Desai last minute winner. Were you there for the six one? No, no, I wasn't. I was I was working that day, but um, I worked with a Spurs friend, and we kept we had the radio on in the office, and he was getting progressively more pissed off and he walked out at 5-1 so I mean excellent Uh, Seb what's your favourite White Hart well three point lane memory I should say I remember my first game at White Hart Lane was the one Philip mentioned the Bernard Lambord one when he chipped I think it was uh, Walker in goal I think Uh, so I was in the Spurs end with my dad so I was only nine and a half years old so I didn't understand the sort of rivalry at the time so I was jumping up and down, and everyone kept on looking at us. So that was that was my first memory of the lane. Um, in terms of more recent stuff, I think the going back to Juan Mata when Mata scored, I think a brace back yeah. under that that, that 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 was good. That was um, that was an, that was an amazing day. Um, but because of my age, I think for the last what six or seven years, we really haven't done as well as we're used to. So we don't. I don't have that many good memories, um, but uh, the ones I have been, they've they've been they've been good. So yeah, yeah, it's been it's. Uh, I know they I know they're their biggest rivals and so forth, but it's it's a good ground. Um, so we've 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 done well there. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, we've got an email now from the wonderful Matt Jazz, and Matt Jazz is in Mixler at the moment. So hello, Matt Jazz, and I. Agree with what you say there. He's he, referring back to an earlier question. What about Ray Wilkins? Yes, you're right. I was very upset about Ray Wilkins, which of course I mentioned in the interview with the Eddie Mac boys uh, in, in the last part. Anyway, 
hello, Chidge, Dan, JK, and Oliver. Uh, and in fact, Seb, because of course Matt just didn't know that JK was doing a, doing a no show and that Seb would come in in his Bat UI role tonight. Um, anyway, the season is almost over and it's time for my annual email. Where can I start? Uh, we're champions. At the beginning of the season, I wished finishing top four and maybe one cup. I think I was not the same in this thinking when both Manchester clubs invested about as much money in their squad as the Slovenian state budget is. Nevertheless, we all knew what happened next. Conte really did a fantastic job. He basically won the league with almost the identical squad that finished with 50 points last season. This season's Chelsea was all about pure football and no off-the-pitch nonsense stories apart from the Costa story. The most important thing I think that he did was he cleared the players' heads. I reckon every season you must add some freshness to the team. We were lucky with the injuries this time. We also play in Europe next season and squad rotation is a must. Conte did, didn't did rotate as much, but he didn't have to, did he? A lot of new potential targets are in Conte's head, according to the press. We'll see who he brings in, but the prices are over the moon. Even I'm worth around £12 million, according to Transfer Marks. Maybe, maybe you should talk to Seb, Matt Jazz. He can sort out a deal with you. Uh, how much? How, how, what percentage would you get of that, Seb? Uh, I, I want to take 100%, I think. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. He said, I saw t- oh, I'll tell you what, you know, maybe maybe Matt Jazz can pay you in beer because they've got some fine beer in Slovenia, as he, he'll be the first to tell you. Um, I saw two Chelsea games live this season. First one was in pre-season in Austria and the second one was in Sunderland in December. My goodness, how far is Sunderland? You can't imagine how lucky and blessed I am that as an overseas fan I can watch Chelsea at home or away. Many supporters don't have a chance. Now, I'm expecting my third child in September, so I reckon I'll go to the UK in March or April next year. Uh, I said to my missus last week that the baby's name should be Antonio. She hasn't spoken to me since. Uh, oh, dear. Uh, for the end, I would like to tell you one statistic that no, that Opta or nobody else knows about. Chelsea always win the league when I have done at least one away game in a season, and we won that one. Take care, all of you. Remember, it's not just supporting, it's a lifestyle. Matt Jazz, Slovenia. Brilliant email, Matt Jazz. Uh, and uh, always good to hear from you. And we ne- we need to see you for a drink in the cot. He says, I would say Chelsea got the gold in the... I mean, well, actually, no, that's about something else. But anyway, Matt Jazz, we need to see you in the pub for a beer when you come over. So make make it happen. Right, very quickly, because we're running out of time. Uh, we've got a final email from Joshua, which is a bit of a plea for help, uh, which hopefully either the people listening live or people who listen to the show later on or even these guys can help with. But he says, I can't thank you enough for your podcast and work. At times I get quite down about the the, uh, the Chelsea sport in Boston in, in the USA. There are, needless to say, some concerns with the club that seem as immovable as a mountain, and it's reassuring to hear voices from abroad as uplifting as yours. It may sound inane, but it warms the coldness in my heart that I faced as a, a Chelsea fan in Boston to, in some small way, feel a part of a larger, unseen, but certainly not unheard community. Help! Helpfen! Bloody SOS. My wife and I will be in Berlin in the uh, on the evening of the 21st of May, flying in from Dresden. Do you know of any way or any route through which we would be able to link up with other Chelsea fans to have pints and laughs after raising the cup? Please and thank you, uh, Joshua Spar. Now, Joshua's Twitter address is at Joshua underscore Spar, which is S-P-A. HR. So if anybody knows where Chelsea fans are likely to be drinking uh, and enjoying, hopefully, us winning the FA Cup in Berlin, uh, tweet him at Joshua underscore Spa, S P A H R. Um, I have no idea, chaps. I don't know about you guys. 
I've never been to Berlin myself, so I don't know. Me neither. No idea, I'm afraid. <laughs> Dan? Yeah, no, no, no idea. I mean, I'll ask Ross because I know he's been to Berlin, but I wasn't sure yeah. it was for a Chelsea-related incident or not. I mean, the yeah, other I'm thing just, is, of course... So, sorry, Seb, go on, mate. No, I, I was just looking to see. There is a German supporters club, but I don't know yeah. where they're based at the moment. I mean, their Twitter handles are at German Blue, so that might be the best, the best yeah. option to have a get yeah. in touch with them, I think. Always a good idea. The, alternatively, just get in touch with Matt Jazz, who who, who you just heard the email from, and, and just divert to Slovenia. He'll, he'll make it worth your while, and you'll get absolutely thoroughly drunk. Right, on that very happy note, uh, I should add that we love receiving your emails, uh, of course, and uh, we always try and read them out on the show, so send them to chelseafancast at gmail.com before Monday, and they'll get on. Right, I'm afraid that is all we've got time for this week. Uh, don't forget to download the Kerry Dixon Show on Thursday, when Kerry and I will give you our reaction to... Chelsea being champions and winning the league and we'll be looking forward to Sunday's match against Sunderland. Um, I'll be back next Monday, back at our regular slot, 7 o'clock on a Monday night together with Jonathan Kidd and uh, the wonderful, venerable Clayton Beerman and Tony Glover. So that should be a cracker. Uh, Now don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Chelsea Fancast, me at Stanford Chidge uh, Dan at DanSilve73 and Seb at Seb O'Mahoney and Oliver at OJ Harbord and uh, what, what's the um, the football London Chelsea Twitter thing, Ollie? Uh, we're at Chelsea underscore FL. You can find Brilliant. us there. Yeah, check it out because Ollie writes tremendous stuff, and it's a really good source of Chelsea articles and news. Uh, and there you go. Uh, of course, check out our website, ChelseaFanCast.com. Many thanks to the Chelsea Fancast bloggers therein. Keep them coming. Uh, but mostly, uh, many thanks to my fantastic guests uh, of this evening, who, of course, have been the lovely Dan Silver. It's great to be back. Wonderful to have you back, mate. And hopefully I'll, yeah. I look forward to seeing you on, on Sunday. Are you going to the Eddie McCready do on Saturday? I think so, yeah. I'll definitely see you Sunday. I think I've got a ticket. I've got to check with uh, he must not be named. Okay, well, I really hope I'll see you on on Saturday because it's going to be a cracking, cracking do, and I'll definitely see you Sunday. Ollie, I know I'll see you. Uh, I'll, I'll get to meet you actually for the first time on Saturday night, won't I, at the Eddie McCready do? Yeah, absolutely. I'm really looking forward to it Saturday, and then obviously. Uh try and keep a, a sober ahead as I can for Sunday as well I think <laughs> well in, in, well I've got I've got to um, you know I'm doing the Q&A with uh, Jason Cundy uh, mm. on the supporters trust uh, the Eddie McCready do so I've got to pace my drinking somewhat uh, which is for me quite hard so uh, <laughs> ho- hopefully I won't be half as battered as I was at the London is blue podcast do but there we go. Uh, now, uh, finally, of course, Seb, always a pleasure to have you in the house. Thank you for standing in at the last minute for us today. And, and how serendipitous that we managed to get you on before the close of the season. No, thanks for having me again. Yeah, it's good to be the super, uh, Jonathan Super Sub. Yeah, the batch UI of the Chelsea fan cast, aren't you, mate? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Is uh, hope, hopefully, hopefully, I'll be staying on as well. <laughs> oh no, yeah, we're not going to get rid of you, mate. No, we love having you on. So, uh, so uh, no fear about that. Um, anyway, brilliant stuff. Thanks, thanks to these guys. They've been great as always. Also, thank you massively to the lovely people of Mixler who are brilliant. Without whom, it would be pointless doing this show. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Until then, keep it blue, keep it carefree, keep it Chelsea. Up the Chelsea! It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. 
Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.